Funny Barbers, a terrific hacker heist, and the beginning of the end for Saturday morning. This week on 302010. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a journey 30, 20, and 10 years into the past of our collective experiences. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista, and who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and God bless Mother Nature. She's a single woman, too. And I'm J.R. Rawls, and kubaya, it never hurts to help. Hey, I understood that reference. Uh, man, we got a jam packed show. If you don't know what we do, we look at what came out this week. This week being September 9th to the 15th, across three decades, 30, 20, 10 years ago. Get it? That's the name of the show. Uh, 1992, 2002, and uh, 2012. And the the closer we get to the monoculture, the more everything unleashes at once. And this is such a week where, holy crap, there's a lot of notable things coming out. September. The whole of the rest of September is insanity. Yeah. We've got all of the music, a freaking ton of movies and all of the TV shows. Debut. All of the TV it's shows. Overwhelming. And uh, so we just have to get started. But we got to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash laser time. What, what, what's going up there soon, JR? We just had Fast Times on Ridgemont High go up. Mm-hmm. And coming out on Tuesday is going to be our first listener response episode in a oh. long time. Yes, a very delayed one. But, oh, man, uh, did the Star Trek one go up? Uh, the Star yeah. Trek one is up. Yes. All the... 80s in depth are up, except for the most recent one. Uh, oh, the horror one, good. Uh, but uh, just, I, I, I might. I saw that you guys put up a poll to see what people wanted to see, mm-hmm. and I saw Last Unicorn won by a country mile. I love that, that was movie. A solid really? win for, yeah, solid win for Last All Unicorn. Right. That's a great movie, yeah. man. Don't sleep on it. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, it, I remember Mia Farrow singing. It, 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 very little, but it's the most okay. one of the most. Oh, I just watched it with my kids. There is a ton of singing. You have forgotten how much singing there is in that. I remember. It's It's got a soundtrack, okay. Walking Man's Road. It's got a lot of America in it. Uh, I'll let you know what that means when we eventually do the show. But yeah, patreon.com slash later time. Give us five bucks. We give you a bunch of bonus shows. Over 100 commentaries. Thousands of extra shows. Go check it out. Um, hopefully I'll get something bonusy up when I have something in my life worth talking about. And I recently did. So there. Ah, moving on to the show, which is jam-packed. 1992. Let's start there. September 9th to the 15th. This is... <laughs> funny this i don't is the biggest news item i could find for this year i'm sorry uh, this, this is great and this year this is the only news item i could find this is great because like i had a little kind of mandela effect like which number was this because i vividly remember both lucy in the peanuts comic strip raises her psychiatric help at her psychiatric help desk to from five cents to 47 cents Fucking inflation. I, yeah. I mean, that's some serious inflation. That's like a thousand percent inflation, y'all. Still, still cheaper than any health insurance you could possibly get. So, yeah, if you want to get psychiatrically kicked in the nuts, Lucy Van Pelt is there for you. One of my first crushes. It was age appropriate. Don't at me. Jesus. And I also saw in a bit of news in 1992, Forbes announces its highest paid entertainers in Forbes magazine. And with 98 million made that year, Bill Cosby. Oh, oh boy. Uh, <laughs> followed yeah. followed very closely by Oprah Winfrey and then Kevin Costner. That one I thought was surprising. Wow. I could see it. No. Dances with Wolves is fairly recent. He's getting a whole bunch of yes. paycheck 
films that are going to come out yeah. soon. And he yeah, adapted and directed it. So, and then he's, yeah, yes. It was a huge hit and then went right into Robin Hood and mm -hmm. JFK. He, yeah, between 1990 and 1992, he was a very busy guy. And I just think it's funny that those three people far and away outgrossed the fourth highest entertainer on the list. New Kids on the Block. Five people combined <laughs> couldn't match one Bill Cosby or one Oprah Winfrey. Oh, okay, moving into 1992, we have some movies coming out. Whew, one of which just has me delighted to just bring up. It is so wonderful. That movie is not this one, despite its um, incredible cast. Incredible cast. Robert Nepper, uh, David Arquette, Kyle McLaughlin, Laura Sangiacomo, Stephen Tobolowsky, Rachel Tocotin, Alyssa Milano, Nancy McKeon, Adam Adam Baldwin, Will Smith, Dermot Mulroney. Will Smith's film debut. Wow. First film. Yep. James LaGrosse, uh, Ricky Lake, Balthazar Getty, Peter Thompson, Lorflin Boyle, and Sean Astin, and Where the Day Takes You. Woo! Yeah. Oh. We we get uh, the next couple of weeks, we have some monster casts, mm -hmm. including another movie with Stephen Tobolowsky in 1992. This is If Singles Were Homeless. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's about like homeless runaway teens living like on Hollywood Boulevard. Wow. and. Um, getting exploited, stealing, having to get into sex work, doing lots of drugs. Like, if you want to see Sean Astin, and he does not age between 1992 and the Lord of the Rings movies. So if you want to see Samwise do so much coke he doesn't sleep for four days, <laughs> here's your movie. It follows one of the characters who is kind of the leader of the homeless gang. And then he goes to prison. When he comes out, if he thinks the homeless group has fallen apart in oh. his absence, yeah. It totally would. I mean, these are not long-lasting groups that are going to exist into your old age. Yeah, Very but it sadly. is sweet in that it's, you know, they're all people running away from their, their biological families and forming a new family where mm -hmm. they're looking out for each other to a point. But, you know, drugs and all the other pressures are, are going to get in the way. Past traumas, people exploiting you. But, uh, I mean, overall, it's pretty good. And just seeing so many of these people just... And they're hitting it out of the park. Like, I, there there wasn't a weak link in this massive cast. Right. So, yeah, where the day takes you. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, is it going to have a happy ending? <laughs> <laughs> but is really it was really interesting and i i really felt for that they don't portray everyone as being you know like a punk ass little bastard or as being just like a pure victim and oh won't society help them it's like it's complicated it's, people are complicated it sounds like the setting of uh, the, the, the initial setting of they live meets crash well, <laughs> a homeless in, in camp. The homeless encampment yeah, yeah sure. and then there the next movie I'm surprised I'd never heard of because it comes from a director who is huge in my household by with both my sister. You got some Black Stallion fans in there? And Never Cry Wolf. That's one of my dad's favorite yeah. movies for some reason. Yeah. And uh, uh, let's see. I know that one. Carol Ballard, uh, director of those movies. And what was the other one? Fly Away Home. Big with my sister and dad. Oh, that's a good movie. Yeah. We have Ned Vaughn, Rebecca Miller, Jack Thompson, Cliff Robertson, Stellan Sarsgaard, Jennifer Gray, and Matthew Modine, and Wind. Wind. Yeah, this has some of the most realistic on deck big boat sailing sequences ever in film, ever. I, yeah. I would be surprised actually if it has been topped since this got released. But you have to care about yacht racing. <laughs> yeah, the America's yeah. Cup. <laughs> I, I think it actually did a decent job of getting you to care about yacht racing. I mean, I don't think it's objectively any 
uh, more unreal than any other sport. They're all things people do for fun. But you just have to be fabulously wealthy in order to be good at this sport. Well, Mm -hmm. no, or you have to get hired by someone who's fabulously wealthy, Mm -hmm. which is most of the people on the ship that you're seeing it through their eyes. Mm -hmm. The whole plot is that the America team loses the America's Cup, and so they go back to try to win it. But the guy who won it isn't portrayed as your typical 1980s sports movie douchebag. Mm. He's like a valiant competitor. It's like, yeah, we lost to you fair and square, and now we're going to try and win. And that's a bit of maturity from a film that I thought was was rather good for a sports movie it's rare to not have villains in a sports movie and there are none in this film as far as i can yeah, see that, that's a good point yeah this mirrors this was like a whole thing in, i'm gonna say 88 where yeah america lost the america's cup mm. racing mm-hmm. uh trophy based and on then, that. yeah and it's based on that and it's based on like actual things that happened in actual recent races of like a collision or a guy clipping a buoy or whatever and it's like the story just kind of made me go uh i mean it is just sports movie stuff but yeah Dad uh, Carol, carol ballard really knew how to film outdoors yeah he, he yeah. is really good at that and it's like yeah the, the all the action scenes you know on the water i don't know what the hell they're talking about but it looks nice but see i love that i love being immersed in a world i don't understand i love being in a environment where people know their craft are doing their craft and i'm just expected to go along with it and try to pick up what i can mm. i like that yeah. Yeah, but, um, oh, but also, bombed. Yeah. <laughs> no one wanted to see Big this. Bomb. Well, but, terrible title. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 especially for SEO. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I did Google, Google Wind. I had to Google Wind. But, yeah. and, uh, uh, you know, it, it, depending on uh, where you live in the world, say if you're a proper Irish gentleman, oh, how you laugh at this title. It should just be called Farts. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but yeah, I've always wanted to go sailing. I never have, but this movie kind of made me want to go volunteer at a sail thing, which I, is I something have, you can do. I've done yeah. something JR has not. Look at that yeah. shit. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't like day trips and there's a yeah. professional telling me what to do, but it is exhilarating because it's like it's like driving a car, but you're inside the hood and moving every part of the car. <laughs> it that is, sounds so awesome. It's I wonderful. Do that. It's That's wonderful. Awesome. You'll, you're never bored because you're usually running and ducking things, always <laughs> keeping one hand on a rail of some kind. Fun, fun. And then I fell asleep in a hammock underneath a boat, which is just the most uncomfortable sleep I've ever had, but one of like, holy shit, I got to do that. Rad. Uh, rad. Something with far superior SEO <laughs> is the next film on the list. Uh, Ken Carpenter, Clayton Hill, Brent, uh, Brent Bolthouse, Kevin Bernert, uh, Paula Marshall, Terry Farrell, Doug Bradley. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I saw people going back and forth on this. A lot of people said I think that this is one of the better Hellraiser movies. It's the second to last that went to theaters. Right. Oh, really? Oh. A lot of people saying, oh, no, they 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 break their own rules that they've established in one and two. And so that pissed them off. See, that's what I, I, I have not been into the Hellraiser series. I forget why I watched one and two. Maybe it was over last Halloween. And then everything I read was like, you're good. Just one and two is fine. That's all you need. Three is when it starts to get bad. And I got to agree with that. You know, everyone in here is a B actor who went on to do nothing. And there's a reason for that. These feel like the most horror movie performances without much skill beyond uh, your day 
actors at your local country clubs uh, buffet dinner show. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's standard. Yeah, I mean, it, they're, they're sort of there to be in peril. It, it just, it's just interesting. We will have a show up on Patreon about horror movie threes. And, but if you've yeah. listened to also patreon.com slash laser time, uh, Elm Street Nightmare, we covered Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. These movies don't really have established rules until like the third or fourth movie. They really don't. They contradict themselves mm-hmm. pretty consistently. Um, How many Hellraiser films are there? Like seven 11. or eight. 11. Oh, 11. 11. Okay. It, Technically, so we, eleven, including I think an attempt at a reboot. Yeah, it, it had and it so, has it has a wonderfully footnoty movie. They made an entire movie that was never meant to be seen, but to park the rights for the film. <laughs> so it was I think released in one theater for like one evening uh, in order to park the rights to the movie, and everybody hated it. And I think the pinhead guy's like, I'm not doing this anymore. I've only seen the first Hellraiser recently, and it's amazing. And it's also disgusting and also amazing that the pinheads were barely part, that the Cenobites are barely part of it. This felt way more slashery. This Mm -hmm. felt way more like pinhead is now your Jason, your Freddy, your Chucky, who's going to give us gory kill. Like the death by CD scene, Mm -hmm. you know, where that's just like, okay, you are you are a slasher film at this point. But uh, do you, do you know who they approached to direct this film? Oh, Craven, Peter Jackson. Did he? <laughs> oh. um. He turned it down because he looked at the script and he said, "The only way I could do this is if it's humorous." And I... they were like, "No, but I'd like to see that timeline. I'd like to see where." Pinhead goes off into the humorous category. Obviously, I'm. Yeah. Uh, it, it would have been like a Del Toro's career doing Blade Two. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, yeah. we're all thinking Lord of the Lord of the Rings and a little Peter Jackson this week, given what happened on Amazon Prime. But yeah. I love. I heard Peter Jackson say in an interview, like, uh, "Yeah, I was obsessed with horror, the Beatles, World War One planes, and Lord of the Rings, and uh, and King Kong." And I've kind of done all, like, what else can I do in that area? That's my only area of expertise. I don't really have anything else to make. (laughs) And and I was, and it just had me thinking about that because, um, yeah, I would love to see, yeah, Peter Jackson. I don't know what he'll do next. He doesn't have to do shit. You know, maybe this, this is a good fit for him though, because I didn't realize I've never seen any of the Hellraiser movies because I am a giant wuss Mm. that, and this had to get edited down to an R from yeah. NC-17. It was so gory. But that I didn't realize that Pinhead's backstory is that he is a World War One soldier. Yeah. I was like, there you go, Pete. Come on, let's do it. Judging by... Well, I, I just pointed that out because like, looking into Peter Jackson's career, he turned down so many things because all he really wanted to make was King Kong and Lord of the Rings. That's it. It's hilarious. Uh, judging by your reaction by this anecdote, uh, we'll see if I oh, tell uh- him... Sorry, what? one more anecdote about Please. Hellraiser 3 that I have to get in. Get in there. There's a scene in a church in this film, mm-hmm. and it was filmed in North Carolina. And That's where it I was. took them forever to find a church that was willing to let them film oh. a leather-clad <laughs> demonic figure in it. Testing the waters with this anecdote. I did not watch this movie because I had a really busy weekend. But I had this movie on tape from a pre-preview of HBO or Showtime, and I wore it out because of the nudity sequences, because <laughs> I was a young boy coming of age when this is on cable a year later. Technically, I've seen this movie dozens of times for five minutes, because I just remember there was a full frontal shot in it. Now that we've infuriated Hellraiser fans, <laughs> Both of them. I, I think this is good because this is one of those really great, like, uh, 
bellwethers for people who really like film. I don't see this film shown on cable, but everybody who's seen this loves it. I don't know anybody who saw it in the theater, but this movie... If you bring, I've never heard it brought up and people not like be overjoyed. And I watched it <laughs> again and it is absolutely joyous. Just a weird ahead of its time film. Dude, look at this cast. Eddie Jones, Timothy Busfield, Stephen Tobolowsky, Ned the Head, David Strathern, Sidney Poitier, River Phoenix, Mary McDonald, Ben Kingsley, Dan Aykroyd, and Robert Redford. It's number one at the box office, Sneakers. If I come in with what I know, can you guarantee my safety? Do you have the item? So it's a code breaker. No, it's the code breaker. There isn't a government on this planet that wouldn't kill us all. Five seconds. Can't trust anybody. Oh my gosh. Marty! They've almost got us. From the director of Field of Dreams. It's weird to sell it off of the director of Field of Dreams. Totally. Because, no, yeah, it Robinson is, not. Is, a, is a really good director, but the, the feeling you get from Field of Dreams is very different from this because this is, you know, a paranoid thriller and, about like spies and shit. And that trailer is like misleading that it's another Robert Redford spy thing. But it's like the key to this movie is the lightheartedness and humor mixed with they're talking about hacking and technology 30 years ago, and the, te and, and the, the techno babble is surprisingly current. Well, uh, most of the hacking in this film is not hacking a computer. It's hacking your brain. It's using social cues to get you to do what they want yes. and to somehow get your password. And that is still hacking today. Yeah. When you get the call, who's like, oh, I'm going to send you gift cards. Just give me this tiny bit of information. Like now the, you've given this, me that tiny bit of information. I need a little yeah. more. This text is from the IRS. You owe us money. Go please buy gift cards or else you will be arrested. I got one of those this weekend. With your social security number. If one of you really use my card, to buy a, a 4k television on amazon i'm we're gonna have words um but but i got a text <laughs> yeah. like but who did anybody else have a like fear of paranoia when you're typing your password in towards a window because of this movie it's like so Ooh, simple but... and relatable mm -hmm. i just i'm just shocked by how great this holds up as a film well what i would think is if you really want to get someone's password these days high definition cameras are totally. so good that mm. you should be able to just plant someone somewhere focused on a keyboard and you can be like okay his hands move like this that's his password yeah. Also, also this yeah there's a whole scene of them doing that of like yeah. did, uh, he hit the p or the o yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure if he hit the p or the o yeah so the basic story is uh robert redford and pretty much the whole rest of the cast are a security firm who are hired by places to test their security. They're white hat. Yeah, they're white hat hackers. hacktivists. Hacktivists for the most part, yeah. non-military, non-non-law enforcement uh, hacktivists yeah. that will hack for good. Yeah, you know they they test the bank security and tell them all their different problems. And mm -hmm. then the NSA shows up and it's like, hey, Robert Redford, we know that you um <laughs> you hacked into Nixon's bank account in 1969 <laughs> and donated all his money to the Black Panthers and you're on the run. So you have to go get this magic MacGuffin for us. And then, oh, are they really the NSA or are they someone else entirely? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So it's a great, great thriller. Yeah. I mean, it holds up amazingly well. I think if you shot this shot for shot today as a period piece, people would be overjoyed all almost like, all of their what a great look back into the early life of computers almost all of their yeah. tactics are things 
you could recreate if you had the time and mm-hmm. to devote to this. It's, it, you have the resources to do what these people are doing. So it's, I think it's just wonderfully clever at the time. And that it's coming from this director who I don't know much. Uh, Phil Alden Robinson wrote and directed it. Primarily screenwriter. Also wrote Rhinestone and Ghost Dad. What the <laughs> fuck? Well, how, how does it... Well, I, I think the key is the other writers wrote War Games. Okay. Best, okay. There's, I see that overlap a lot. Yeah, that... That but makes it, sense. Yeah, that makes sense. But it's like it's. I, I enjoyed this as a kid, but this is a really good like adult ass movie, like mm-hmm. uh, really really good and holds up so well. It, it, just yeah. because I have a poor context of a classic film, it might be my favorite Robert Redford movie. Yeah, it almost got shut down though. Yeah, during the production of it, they got a message that w- their plot was very similar to something oh, the shit. NSA was actually working on. <laughs> And they all started freaking out and they were worried they were going to have to shut down the film. And then it was revealed that that was just a prank by Dan Aykroyd. (laughs) (laughs) Who's who's fucking great in this film. Like Dan Aykroyd. It's the part he's born to play. Yeah. He's a conspiracy nuts. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's, a... it's so weird to see like scenes Robert Redford doing some real fun comedy. Yeah. you know, scenes where he has to like lie on his feet and, and gets sort of flustered and nervous. My only real complaint is River Phoenix doesn't have anything to do. Yeah. You could combine his character and Dan Aykroyd's character. And it, it, it feels it, it feels like something much. of his was left on the cutting room floor. So good in this. And, you know, he's like a, a kid who got in trouble early on in his life. And now he's getting a second chance, which we have as a theme, kind of. Mm-hmm. We have a couple movies yeah. with that this year. And also, David Strathairn. Oh. I think it's the first time I saw him in anything. That guy Amazing. always rules. Good night and good luck, and, fella. That's what I call him. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. And he, like comic relief in this though, which yeah. I'm very amused to see. Yeah, there there, there are character fun. actors in this a plenty that get time to shine and get to be funny. And it's like it's not the cool kind of funny as Ocean's Eleven, but it I had kind of an Ocean's Eleven vibe. Did you not get through a screening this to recently and wonder like why was this the only movie in this series? It sort mm. of has an ending Aww. ending like yeah, a I get what you mean. Where everybody rides off into the sunset, but like why wouldn't you recombine oh, these people I, I, again for another I adventure? I don't think we were as addicted to sequels in 1992 as we are today. And I, I, mean, and I obviously today it's like sequel everything. But in 1992, yeah. it was like one and done was standard and sequel was. And I, I personally just speculating here, Robert Redford was of a movie star magnitude. I don't think he would have been on board for that at all. So it's like if he's not involved if he doesn't want this to be a franchise then we're not going to move yeah. forward with it well i mean that's yeah. how they got this ridiculous cast is yeah we got robert redford yeah but I mean, and that's how you get sydney fucking poitier to show yeah. up it's and so not cool. a cameo not just showing up at the end or something that's nope. somebody else pretty high caliber but he's like fun mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> he's fun in this too like oh it's fun but yeah, I think, I mean, it was a modest success. It wasn't a blockbuster. Oh, no, I think it was think a huge if success. It had blown, I think if it had blown the roof off everybody, then maybe it was, it was a huge success. This is at a time when, like, you know, people maybe younger than our parents went to every Robert Redford movie. It's made $100 million of 1992 money. That's that's good that's bank for a movie good. that's 20 mil. Yeah, I, I don't so, know why. Yeah, it was number 32 of the top grossing domestic box office films of 1992 yeah so i mean it's a solid success but not yeah not like <laughs> let's get everyone a, back in but that's just but, the, I, I, but I, I think my generation found it on hbo 
that's yeah. where we ended up discovering it. I I watched it with my dad in theaters, and I can wow. remember just barely being able to follow along. Really? Uh, <laughs> yeah, fourteen-year-old Jr. was like, "Okay, I'm not used to thrillers, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm starting to get." I didn't know what the NSA was. Did you know what the NSA was? At 14? no, no, I had no idea. That's why I think like that whole opening. I was agog by like how much of this is relevant now. Uh, right about where where can where does the nsa operate versus the cia versus yeah. the fbi yeah, yeah. that's oh, um God. yeah i'm seeing an awful lot of that in the news regards to totally with russia it's <laughs> unbelievable but in regards to this film i do want to say that river phoenix doesn't have a lot to do in this film i think you're right diana but i think you see the shadow of the adult actor he would have become because yeah. he's really graduating from full-on kids' roles, and we do not get many of those before he dies during the filming of Interview with a Vampire. Yeah, yeah. And and, and yeah. what what woman doesn't swoon what he for what he does at the end? Come on. Uh, yeah, it would have worked on me. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I, it's uh, it's one of the yeah, most memorable yeah. things about the movie. I love this film, man. Can't say enough All nice right. things I about have... it. There is one thing I've said because it it's filmed all in San Francisco. It makes mm-hmm. San Francisco look great. They use the Fox Theater in Oakland as their their base of operations. Looks awesome. My own only complaint is Dan Aykroyd says that there are four bridges in the Bay Area, and that is completely incorrect. There are eight bridges in the Bay Area. There are four coming off of the San Francisco Peninsula. So if you were thinking I was in a car <sighs> and I heard us go over a bridge from San Francisco, then there are only four you could do. And it shouts out the Dumbarton Bridge, the least popular <laughs> of all of the bridges. <laughs> Nobody cares about the Dumbarton Bridge. Nobody, not even, no. People like the Carquinas Bridge more. And no one gives a shit about it. The Benicia Bridge. Ugh. But if if we make, like, that's yeah. one of my favorite scenes in this film. Robert Redford is it's, kidnapped in the trunk of a car and pieces together what he hears to tell where he has been and where he where he was going, yeah. where what direction the car was by the bumps in the road, the sound of the harbor. Have you not? I, I don't know. I was watching that John Mulaney bit about uh, if you're kidnapped, punch out the taillight and wave to the cars behind you. Like, no, listen to the bumps in the road. Are you near an ocean? I've, I don't know. I think about that more than I should. <laughs> yeah, it is a really well done sequence of like, okay, so you heard, you know, it was a rhythmic thumping, but did mm-hmm. you hear a foghorn? No. Okay, well, Golden Gate's probably not it. All right. Did you go through a tunnel? No. Okay, well, Bay Bridge is out there. See, there's so many great scenes in this film. Yeah. There's yeah. so many scenes when you're going to like remember them. And, 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 and yeah, I, the, I feel like this movie's just sort of forgotten and that sucks. Shouldn't Sneakers be. Because it, it, I just see on the wiki, there was a, TV series being developed in 2016, which is like totally perfect, yep. like Ocean's Eleven, but nerdier and more practical down to earth. Mm-hmm. Like, a, not everybody's handsome and suave. It'd be a perfect idea for an ongoing series. Uh, I hope someone gets that ball rolling because, yeah, nobody involved in the writing or directing would go on to really make anything like this again. And I just shocked. It's this totally weird standalone movie. I think it's just lovely. So. Yeah. It's not streaming anywhere for free, but you can rent it just about everywhere. It's wonderful. Sneakers. Give Sneakers. We're, sneakers is a solid recommend from all of us, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. So we have to move on to one of the busiest weeks of television we've ever seen. So we're... Oh, <laughs> boy. Let's move on to TV in 1992, September 9th to the 15th. Uh, we first, first up... <laughs> The TV movie, <laughs> which sounds more like a description than <laughs> Teamster Boss. <laughs> Teamster Boss, the Jackie Presser story starring Brian Dennehy, Jeff Daniels, Maria Conchita Alonso, and Eli Wallach. Those are all fun names to say. I really, 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 really miss when TV movies were called 
thing, colon, the, the sewing system. story. I miss it so much. Teamster boss, the Jackie Presser story is, yeah, Brian Dennehy plays the former head of the Teamsters. He was only president for like four years. He got indicted for a million different things. He was mobbed up like nobody's business and was an FBI informant. Ooh. I don't know if that came out in the movie or not. Yeah, whatever. Teamster boss. And uh, we also have a shitload of children's entertainment. Cause... Oh my gosh. So this doesn't happen in the modern day. No. But younger listeners, it used to be that Saturday morning cartoons rolled out all their new stuff all at once. It yeah. was just like, new season, here's everything premiering all at once. Yeah, that where, wasn't true. Where, whereas their adult primetime lineup would roll out over the course of like six weeks. Saturday, because if you remember, they would ho they would have one big primetime special. If you've ever wanted to see Pee Wee Herman interview Roddy Piper, it ha it happens over the period of half an hour where they're introducing what will be coming to Saturday morning. They're hilarious. Richard Pryor hosted one. It's just something that doesn't happen anymore. And uh, I did a Laser Time episode about the death of Saturday morning, which, you know, was important to Gen Xers and uh, elder millennials. But this is where you're starting to see that occur the death of Saturday morning. I, I can attribute that to a ton of things, but we'll actually see this evolve through the course of this segment and the next one, why Saturday morning had to die. One of them, I will express, the TV stations didn't own the Saturday morning cartoons. Usually this is being produced by an independent animation house, and it's usually based on a toy franchise. That's one of the reasons Saturday morning died, because it either, everything had to be a franchise, Teen Wolf cartoon, Back to the Future cartoon, and if you weren't into that, you weren't going to watch the cartoon. But there was a golden era where it was, you just had a bunch of cartoon-ass cartoons, and a lot of these aren't bad. We have the Addams Family debuting, the animated version of the Addams Family, which... So yeah, like most animated versions of the Addams Family, the macabre nature is turned way, way down. Mm. And as is the amorous nature, shall we say, of Gomez and his <laughs> of uh, Gomez yeah. and Morticia. Yeah, but this is an interesting version. It's the second cartoon version. And the yeah. focus is really, because there was a god-awful Hanna-Barbera one, mm -hmm. but this one really focuses on Wednesday and The Pugs kids. Week. But John Astin is back as Gomez. Yeah, it's exciting. And Rip Taylor's Uncle Fester. Okay, <laughs> I'm in love. I'm sorry. We got Rip Taylor and Carol Channing as grandma. Oh, oh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm done. I don't, yeah, yeah, so one I don't of care. The few Saturday morning cartoons that could be queer, ca queer canon at this point. We got to keep going because there's just so many yeah. to talk yeah. about. I never All saw... Right, so that went like 20 whole episodes. Next. Uh, we have... Let's see. There's a talk. <laughs> Conan the Adventurer. Little late to capitalize on the Conan heat. Uh, almost 10 years to the day. <laughs> Of the Schwarzenegger movie. Yeah. Robert E. Howard's Conan is a barbarian, a pirate, a professional killer, a thug for hire, and he really likes the violence. Not so cartoon Conan. Yeah. This is this is basically them taking He-Man and filing off the serial numbers. At one point, <laughs> he refuses to join a pirate crew on the grounds that it is wrong to steal. What? Okay. <laughs> That is Conan. Conan, the thief, is like the first thing you see in one of his stories is he's a thief and he works his way up to king from thief. Like that's his journey. Thief to mercenary to pirate captain to king. You know. And he refuses to steal anything because it's wrong. That's what I misunderstood <laughs> about Conan for, Conan for so many years and didn't get into it until much later that it really was kind of an older kids thing. 
And the more violent it is, the more fun it is. And that's not really, he's not really well suited to Saturday morning or being a, a kid's, a property kid should be watching anyway. One of my favorite things that occurred during, I think, the decline of Saturday morning was Fox Kids. Because we talked about mm-hmm. Batman the Animated Series last week. They took a huge risk and were putting out the coolest original and licensed content in all of animation. And I just have to give a salute to one of the most underrated cartoons of that era. Ladies and gentlemen, Eek the Cat. I can help those little kittens. It never hurts to help. <laughs> I just, I, I, it always hurts to help, Eek. Learn your lesson. Every time you try to be a good person, you are punished by the gods. And unlike a lot of other cartoons airing anywhere, Eek is a cartoon ass cartoon, surreal, spastic, kinetic, violent, loud. And it comes from Savage Steve Holland, who has oh. one of the most bizarre careers in entertainment. I think he did, yeah. he wrote and directed like John Cusack movies, like One Crazy Summer. And you can mm-hmm. see his animation in the opening credits. He animated a couple of opening credit sequences back when like 40% of movies had animation for the opening credits. See City Slickers and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. He made this wonderful cartoon in Eek, and he kind of went on to mostly direct live action TV shows on like Disney Channel and Nickelodeon. But during this period on Fox, he had Eek the Cat and Eek the Cat begat Thunder Lizards, which were introduced in the second season, and then uh, another one that I forget, but Eek the Cat, a wonderful design, a purple cat afraid of a dog that looks like a shark in love with a very corpulent pink cat, always trying to help his friends out, constantly punished, torn apart, kicked in balls for it, an optimistic character throughout all the bad things that happened to him, and it's just... I, I don't get why Eek the Cat disappeared completely, because he's a great character. Yeah, I think the the only I think the only reason it thoroughly disappeared is because through numerous purchases by Disney, whether it's through Saban or the entire Fox Corporation, it is owned by Disney, but I don't think yeah. they care or know. And it's it's a tragedy because I think it's still pretty good. It, it, it's probably better for kids. It holds up better for kids, but it's also never been on any. Deep, it's never been released on DVD in North America. Only the Czech Republic has commercially released Eek the Cat. No. Yeah, it's got it's got games. It's got merchandise, and it's just gone. You can't see it in a, in a in a good fashion anywhere. All you have is YouTube VHS recordings. Eek deserved better than that. I was mistaken in an episode of Thirty Twenty Ten with the next cartoon because I th- I wasn't sure if this was a series at all because it was a one season failure that they then packaged as direct to video movie, and that's. Fievel getting busted down a television. Fievel's American Tales debuts on CBS this week. This to me is too little too late. Just not unlike Fievel Goes West, which recently came out. American Tale is a movie from 1986. The generation you would have capitalized most on is too old to watch Saturday morning cartoons. And maybe they don't want to watch the story of an immigrant mouse in the Old West. And this only went one season, which is only weird if you were a little kid who grew up with access to Universal Studios, because Fievel was their Mickey Mouse for a long yeah. time. King Arthur and the Je- Knights of, of Justice debuts, and I just remember... Right. Go ahead, Jerry. You... Let me pitch this to you. Please. Okay. Uh-oh. You're Merlin. You're oh. Merlin, okay? An <sighs> epic battle has happened. The Knights of the Round Table are trapped in the Cave of Glass by Queen Morgana. You are unable to free King Arthur and the Knights... So you reach through the mist of time. Who do you pull to be the new Knights of the Round Table? The new kids on the block. I'm thinking a relatable 10-year-old with moppet hair. Close. Instead, the New York 
Knights football team, oh, yes. led, led <laughs> by Arthur King, the quarterback. Oh, no. Yes. Oh. That is who Merlin, a being who travels backwards <sighs> in time, chose. Can't you just see the 70-year-old pitchmen high-fiving one another for coming up with this concept? It's got everything. <laughs> a recognizable IP we don't have to license. It's got American's greatest sport. Oh, just can't lose. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the, and so the regular King Arthur and the knights just are trapped forever. Yeah. We just yeah. have these these schmucks show up. At least for two seasons and 26 episodes. Oh, uh, my yeah. God. Uh, they're armed with special armor and are able to summon creatures like like magically from their shields. So they got that going for I, them. I cannot imagine the series explores how a bunch of people with million dollar contracts go from. <laughs> Go from that lifestyle to serving a king in medieval times and don't complain oh. about it constantly. No, no. They are super happy and they instantly dedicate themselves to doing good in their newfound land. Wow. I'm so glad I live somewhere without antibiotics. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, well, we got to keep pressing on. There's too much crap. We got lamb chops, play along. Jesus Christ. I still see <laughs> lamb chop. I see lamb chop merchandise in stores, but it's only in pet products. I think they like tearing <laughs> up lamb chop. Yeah. Oh, my dog loves lamb chop. He was given lamb chop by <laughs> by his grandparents, and um, he immediately turned it into a sex doll after he chewed her <laughs> ears off. He liked to chew her ears off while <laughs> trying to hump her. Lamb chop, no! <laughs> it was very upsetting for a while. Oh, wait. Oh, God. That was the gross anecdote. If people have been listening to my podcast for a long time, Eek the Cat was also the series I discovered. Um, yeah. Was playing with it and it went off during an episode of Eek the Cat, and I... <laughs> Oh, and eat the cat I, made you experiment that way. I was just messing around. Just, just, just. It, it, it was an accident, and then I spent like quite a while trying to recreate it because I didn't know how All I right. did it. I'm uh, googling Eek's girlfriend, <laughs> Annabelle. Gorgeous, gorgeous. You like thick ladies? Yeah, yeah. She's uh, <laughs> she's got some meat on her, Chris. Yeah, I mean, you do you. I mean, if you're into pregnant Sonics, Annabelle's your gal. Um, <laughs> And uh, also this week, the debut of a series like I have not seen one frame of, despite loving the source material, The Little Mermaid debuts on, shit, I don't even remember what channel. It was obviously based on the Little Mermaid Disney cartoon. This is a Disney production. It takes place before the events of the film, so it's a prequel. The direct-to-video prequels pretty much ignore all of this. Um, it ran for three seasons, 31 episodes. Uh, one of the most touching things I found out about it was in this TV show, there's a deaf mermaid called Gabriel who is based upon a real girl who loved to watch The Little Mermaid mm -hmm. and died. Oh. And they drew how they think she would have grown up to look and made her Aww. a character in the show. Oh, that's wonderful. So, that's pretty sweet. I, how, how far can a voice travel underwater anyway? They should all be signing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, sound travels really, really far, but it's very hard to figure out which direction it's coming from. Okay, oh, okay. That and makes sense. They they did try to capitalize on not just the movie, but also this cartoon show. And the little crab released an entire album yes. of the crab singing. In Kingston Town. Oh, Isn't that beautiful? All these ways of sins. <laughs> I that's the only note I had on this. A surprising amount of merchandise in video games are very technically based on this cartoon and not the movie. Because 
Ariel surprise does spends a surprising little t- little bit of time underwater in the Little Mermaid movie, as you may remember. Yeah. And, yeah. and they have the original voice back, Jody Benson. Jody Benson, yes. One of the one of the to God, I am looking at my sorry, I keep mm. interrupting. Mm. I'm looking at the cast of all of these different cartoons, and I'm seeing the same like five names show up oh, yeah. over and over. Oh yeah. It's like besides Maurice Lamarge and Jim Cummings, I keep seeing Kenneth Marr show up and Pat Carroll, and those make me happy because those are, you know, old all time I- uh character actors yeah and pat carroll pat carroll i think did the original voice of ursula i don't remember because she she left the fievel production and her character Mm -hmm. was written out to take care of may whitman otherwise known as egg or her for arrested development fans but is now a super prolific voice actor in in, uh, avatar the last airbender uh to to name i can't name anymore right now Ooh, last but leastly in the animated category (sighs) wild west C-O-W. It's not cow. It's C-O-W, and that C-O- does not stand for cow. Cowboys of Moo Mesa. Thuggish? They're more like bulls. <laughs> Cowboys of Moo Mesa. The okay, oddest so- Ninja Turtles ripoff, I think. One of the odder Ninja Turtle ripoffs. Let's just say that. So, I don't know if you remember in your history books, but in the 19th century, an irradiated comet struck the western plains, huh? creating a high mesa surrounded by clouds, and everything in that mesa was cowmatized. <laughs> and from the cowmet, and evolved into a boivomorphic state. Now, these creatures were inspired by tales of the Old West and okay. emulated that. And COW does not stand for cow. It stands for Code of the West. That 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 actually makes a ton of sense because uh, otherwise you'd have to bring up the concept. So were the cows with the ten gallon hats calling themselves human boys? Oh, and, uh, and there's also real cows. So the cow, the mutated, <laughs> mutated, not mutated, mutated, mutated cows have their non-mutated cows. And I only know know any of this because. The Ninja Turtles was so successful in every mm-hmm. avenue. Almost every property would launch with that template. And things like Bucky O'Hare and this got a pretty decent Konami beat, like belt scroller game that almost no one remembers. And it just feels so undeserving given the, given the fan base of those two things compared to the Ninja Turtles. But, but don't you remember the classic characters of Marshall Moo Montana? Oh my God. And the cow. Lorado kid. <laughs> These are their names, folks. This is and... like the Flintstones for bovines. I don't yeah. like this. Westerns are kind of big on guns. That's kind of a thing with Westerns. Oh, yes. But you can't really have guns in a TV show. So you know what they did? What they do, JR? Their guns don't fire bullets. Huh? Their guns, which they shoot, fire their symbols. Like the marshal, <laughs> his gun fires a sheriff badge. <laughs> Isn't that just kind of like a ninja star? Yeah, isn't that more recreatable <laughs> by children anyway? Like, anyway, anyway. Cowboys of Moon Mesa. That's just the animated debuts. Non-animated debuts include American Justice. Uh, went 16 seasons and debuts this week. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is an old... This is like an, such an entry point for true crime for so many kids watching things they should not be watching on A&E. I love Bill Curtis's voice so much. <laughs> and yeah, it's just like, oh, here's a horrible story for you. And, uh, okay, you want to hear about Bernie Getz shooting people or Jeffrey Dahmer? Oh, sure, great. Oh, damn. See, I was, I was, th- I, I don't know what this is. I was just thinking it was more along the lines of like a more Republican, Republican America's most wanted, like stories of solving crimes. No, that's it's what, just the crime story. It's, okay. it's not, 
looking for the criminals or anything. It it really is just salacious details Amer about um, American crime story. Yeah, American crime stuff. Uh, like, but again, you know, sixteen yeah, seasons. Uh, yeah, two hundred and fifty-five episodes, including one about uh, the Trump divorce. <laughs> Really? Oh, I wonder who played him. Uh, yeah, sure. no, Pixie Siegel, sure. Trump divorce. Let's talk about that. the show. Flying Blind also debuts this week. Taya Leone and that kid that's a Corey, but not one of the other Corys. Corey Parker. That's ah. right. And it, it should just be called My Girlfriend's Too Hot for Me. <laughs> As, yeah, these are all uh, one season wonders. We got a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's just keep on a moving. Hearts of Fire debuts. So, yeah, yeah, this was John Ritter's big new television show. It's uh, he's playing a congressman's aide and he's from the South and he hires a liberal and they have a will they or won't they romance. And then the next season, he moves back to his small town to run its newspaper or something. And his entire work related group also decides to move to his <laughs> small town for him. Uh -huh. Like they just completely changed the pilot, but it's just the plot soft of the, reboot. Soft yeah. reboot, but it's like, soft well, when your work colleague, not even your friend, your work colleague moves back to his small town, you move with him. That's just a thing you do. But the pilot episode tackles bisexuality in a way I'm kind of surprised for network television in 1992. You remember that marriage counselor you two went to named uh, Dr. Ruth somebody? Yeah. Did you know she's bisexual? So. So Deandra's moved in with her. What are you talking about? I'm talking about they're an item. What do you mean an item? I mean your ex-wife and this Ruth person, they're going together. What do you mean going together? <laughs> you know what I mean. Get out of here. Deandra told Mavis herself. She said that she'd never find anybody else like you, but this is something she needs to explore. You're making this up. Look, I'm sorry I mentioned it. I didn't know it was that big a deal. It's surprisingly yeah. sparing on the laugh track. You yeah. figured they'd be yeah. taking yeah. easy, easy jokes here. That is. And he goes on to say that he's got nothing against uh, gay people. And again, that's just not something I'd expect the character to say in 1992. And, but... and the person he's talking to is Billy Bob Thornton. And I always thought it was weird. John Ritter was in Sling Blade. And I am literally learning now this is probably uh -huh. where they met. This must this, be where they met. Yeah. On and, this program. Uh, um, yeah. Look at the cast. Uh, Clark Duke was on this when he was like seven years old wow. from, uh, what's it called? Hot Tub Time Machine. Yes. Yeah. The second the that office. I heard that voice, I'm like, okay, why is Billy Bob Thornton on a romantic comedy? Yeah. And the answer is, why not, Diana? It's 1992. The guy's career is not going anywhere. Also, yet. like him and Jeremy Even Pitt. though he made one false move. But that movie is disturbing. And if you if you <laughs> go and look up that that YouTube clip for yourself, he's got to be like rival Jeremy Piven with the most oddly evolving hairline you've ever seen in your life. It totally goes in reverse. He is he is practically <laughs> bald in this 1992 show. Also this week, the debut of Likely Suspects. This show was an interactive crime drama where you, the viewer, are the rookie partner. It's so terrible. I love it. By the way, I'm Marshak. Welcome to Homicide. Oh, it's your detective shield. Okay. All right. Let's go find out who killed Darcy Lowell. Hey, rookie, forget the donuts. Come on. We only got 30 minutes to solve a murder. It's, it's Sam McMurray, uh, the Tracy Ullman, one Tracy Ullman 
cast member that didn't get a recurring role in The Simpsons talking directly to the camera. <laughs> and the camera being your eyesight. You're looking down at a photo. You're looking up at him. You're walking around. You are the rookie. It lasted 12 episodes. You know, this is weird. Uh, this is weird because a news story I decided to not put in this week because it was a little too vague and I couldn't find a reference for it was the most video game developers are moving towards CD-based technology. And by that, are, uh, the idiots among us think the future of video games is live action shit exactly like this show. <laughs> Somebody uh... talking to camera, what are you going to do, man? Move left or right? <laughs> Mad Dog McCree, all that Night Trap, like this. It this feels like a Sega CD game on television, which means Ooh, it's not you know, a. We're going to talk about this year. Yeah, Sega oh, CD's no. out. It's out in Japan already. But like, uh, it 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 looks like the future of video games. And this kind of interactivity looks like the future of entertainment at the time. So this isn't as God, dumb an idea idiot. as you as it as is. it may look like back then. You can see why they were thinking this would be a good idea. Also, the debut. Of a show we all can remember fondly, the Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh, the television show, debuts. Until David Lenderman moved over to late night, this was the third highest rated late night television show. Oh, was it late night? God damn. I think it may have been syndicated. Yeah, I think it was syndicated, but it was, it's kind of the same thing that Howard Stern or Don Imus did, where it's like they're just kind of filming while they do their show. Yeah. This was yeah. more like a TV show. And I, I, I like that you bring that up because, you know, Rush Limbaugh is a scumbag and I'm glad he's dead. But this is the first, A, the first show I remember my parents hate watching. Like, uh, <laughs> and I remember, and I'm only, I have that memory. It's very vivid, JR. And it's not, to, so for me, this wasn't a late night show. It was on at like seven o'clock or something. Um, oh, like okay. around when they were watching the news. Cause like, I could just remember this, a lot of this from my mom. Oh, oh, <laughs> like, a lot of this watching the Rush Limbaugh show. Cause what else were they going to watch? It was on around their news programming. I thought I remembered it being daylight. So I, I could be completely wrong on that, but it has the exact same scenario as the Howard Stern show. Like kind of, it, it is a television phenomenon by any metric, yeah. but like, why would I work this hard on this thing that makes me less than this huge radio show where I don't have to put in as much effort? A television show is like an all-day thing, man. You have to show up and lighting, radio, sit down, start start recording. Producers I, I can take care of stuff. this may be near the top of Rush's fame because yes. he had a number of best-selling books. He had the radio show and he had this TV show and he was calling himself like the king of all media because he was. He yes. was just winning at yeah. his thing. I think we got to give him two years. I think he really blossoms when he has Clinton as an adversary. Yes. And Clinton's about to become president in November. And by the time we get to 94 and we get the Republican Revolution, the contract with America, so much of which is his fault. Then, yeah, yes, that's, that's then probably it's the, the golden days of Rush. And he this can is, have all the pills he wants. This is, <laughs> this is tied in to another thing that's fascinating to me as a fan of reading about evolution of media. It looks like he, you know, he, the show went four seasons and it looks like he, I'm guessing he made the decision to bow out. Rupert Murdoch and what's that other Fox News guy? Roger Ailes and Rush Limbaugh have a multi-year courtship. The entire point of Fox News or goal in the beginning was to get Rush over there. And wow. he was incredibly defined. That whole state, that whole channel is made up of right-wing radio talk show hosts except for the one everybody knows and i think there was uh, some kind of animosity there i read about this when he died but just like that was it was a constant thing and they hated one another resented one another but that fox news was supposed to be 
the Rush Channel, and I can see that. it never came to be. He fought. They, they both, yeah, courted each other forever. And also, I hate that I talk that much about someone I don't like and how little I have to say <laughs> about someone I do like. The Whoopi Goldberg show debuts, but I never saw it. It ran a year. It wasn't a big hit. Yeah, not a big hit. Whoopi's got a much more sizable hit on uh, network television these days. And I, I don't, yeah, she, I, usually when I see clips, I'm like, that was funny. Whoopi's doing fine. Yeah. Uh, her last guest was G. Gordon Liddy. Perfect. Really bringing the, <laughs> the ratings there. God damn it. We're not even close to the... We also have the VMAs, uh, the, the 1992... Oh, no. video. Yes. Video Music Awards hosted yeah, music awards. by... Uh, who Dana I Carvey. Dana Carvey. Uh, yeah. Greatest SNL cast member of all time. Give or take a Kate McKinnon or Keenan Thompson. And I just remember off the dome, the most notable thing about this was Elton John singing November Rain with Guns N' Roses on, while playing the piano. Interesting. Elton John would. What are some other highlights we have here? I, oh, um, they're, they're kicking some ass in here. Uh, video of the year goes to Van Halen's Right Now, Best Meal Video, Air Claps and Tears in Heaven, which is that really a video? I mean, <laughs> not a lot going on. That's in a it. song. I'm sorry. You filmed the song. Uh, best Female Video, Andy Lennox Y, Rad. Best Group Video, Even Better Than the Real Thing by U2. Awesome. Best New Artist in a Video, Nirvana Smells Like Teen Spirit, beating Tori Amos, Russian Development, and Cracker. Sorry, Cracker. Wow. Best Metal Video, Metallica, Enter Sandman. Alternative yeah. Video, Nirvana Smells Like Teen Spirit, because we still have a Nirvana. And, uh, yep. yeah. Best Dance Video was, uh, Prince New Power Generation Cream. Yeah, these are... Oh, and I just like the ambiguity of this sentence. Best Female Video went to Annie Lennox. Why? <laughs> song why sorry and um, here you go best video from a film bohemian rhapsody by hell yeah from Wayne's world that's kind of cheating yeah no uh, it's not cheating. i i should i should note i did read in the archives uh this week wayne's world is far and away the top video rental in the country and that was not insignificant insignificant because everybody's renting videos right now world deserves credit for bringing back bohemian rhapsody and that uh, music video was a huge part Wayne's of it world i think it deserves, deserves credit for me having heard of queen where i lived they were not on the radio i did not oh, know anything about queen. maybe maybe at a sporting event but even then i somehow knew that was queen after bohemian rhapsody and, and and on 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 the flip side of uh, uh, going back to what killed Saturday mornings, the f- most fascinating statistic. If you listen to that Laser Time episode, I never thought of divorce. That <laughs> Saturday, kids were no longer sitting still on Saturday; they were being transported to and from soccer practice and picked up by different parents, and ending up having a lot more active lifestyles than the sedentary watching of cartoons. But another a huge reason, probably maybe the biggest reason is Nickelodeon. And as we discussed about a year ago, Nickelodeon debuted the Nicktoons. And I can't recommend it enough. It's called The Orange Years. It's not even the golden era of Nickelodeon. It's Nickelodeon rolling out like 10 to 15 years of amazing decisions, creatively led shows, not based on trends that were incredibly well-received. Everything they did, people loved. And Salute Your Shorts is no exception. It makes us all want to fart. I thought it was a funny The only television show in history to have the word fart yeah. in its theme song. Yeah. And Ren and Simpy <laughs> had not said the word fart yet. And and this is I remember that because I only one episode of You Can't Do That on Television had said the word fart, but this had it in its theme song. I instantly liked this show because I think it's a I think you could call it a dramedy, a, a, yeah. a kid's dramedy set in a summer camp, which is a fucking awesome setting if you're a kid. It's great. No, yeah. no. I, I think 
kids want to be in summer camp yeah. and they want to romanticize summer camp if they've never been there. So it's a natural setting for any kids media. Yeah. And this is just showing you here's your crazy adventures that you'll have if you're away from your parents. And it's because parents are the people who don't let kids go to the fireworks factory that's in our job description we cannot let you go to the fireworks factory but when you're at camp maybe you'll go to the fireworks factory yeah and the big thing about nickelodeon is that they could make these incredibly uh, what would you, positive creative decisions you couldn't have had a show like this on the network on our network it would have to be very very toned down to compare because this to me, like it bled realism. Kids well, had problems, were mean story. to one another. They, they, at one point, the campers were going to sneak into the cafeteria to steal candy. Mm-hmm. And the head honcho said, We don't want to promote obesity. So they snuck into the cafeteria to steal fruit. Now, I don't know about <laughs> your camping experience, but we had so many crazy escapades to get fruit. Fruit. I, I literally broke into a cabin to steal Cokes. At my summer <laughs> sleepover summer camp, but definitely not fruit. Maybe a cherry Coke. Let's compromise. But Solution Short's great, but also part of the death of Saturday morning that Nickelodeon is making shows that are really resonating with kids more than things like Cowboys of Moo Mesa, uh, which is pract- a barely legal promotion of an action figure line, with great shows like Salute Your Shorts. And then NBC getting tired of licensing the shows it doesn't own because it can't produce an animation in-house. It's too expensive makes the first big step in the death of Saturday morning. It's to cancel all the cartoons. And this is the debut of their live action. We are going to t- target teens. You can keep your Fruit Loops audience. We want the Noxzema crowd. Uh, and we're going to base it all in the template of the uh, Holy Save by the Bell. California Dreams, a Save by the Bell spinoff eventually. NBA inside stuff. <laughs> Uh, oh, right. It was called TNBC. They put like a huge Telemundo Teen Titans Tower T behind NBC <laughs> during this block of programming. And it sucked. <laughs> it thoroughly sucked. Yeah, um, I remember being actively angry in 1992. Yes. So I was 14. <laughs> I was at the tail end of my Saturday morning cartoon watching it. We're almost yeah, ready where we, I'm just about to peace out. But it was just like, even though I didn't really watch that much Saturday morning cartoons anymore, I was angry yep. that it was going away i was too. like like my first nerd rage over something that i didn't have any interest in watching and i have like i and i i'm not shaming anyone i have never liked saved by the bell i hated it when it was on i hated it when it was syndicated and ran every day on television i hated it and what just, i have discovered is i know i watched saved by the bell but i had zero memories of it mm-hmm. not a goddamn thing in that show has ever registered in my brain um, no never watched it I'm too cool for such things. Yeah. yeah What's it, California Dreams, though? What, uh, no, it's like the Totally Surfer it? guys. It's it's uh, what if Saved by the Bell, except they were in California. Yeah, so Wait, what if, they are in California. Saved, saved by the Bell, bell. but with like a, yeah. a, 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 hint, a tinge of 90210. What uh, if what if Saved by the Bell, but they're all a band? That's yeah. it. That's it. That's oh, that's the their name, uh, right. They also have Name okay. Your Adventure debuting that week. Name Which Your Adventure... Pretty cool, but it also sounds an awful lot like Jim will fix it in the UK, which was hosted by an notorious pedophile. <laughs> Yikes! But yeah. we didn't know that then, right? And it's a but great yeah. idea for a show. It's a great idea. It's like, hey, kids, what is something you've always wanted to do? We will make that happen. We will make your dream come true. One teenager got to meet 
Bill Clinton. One oh. uh, saw Mario Lopez take a teen who wanted to be an Olympic diver to meet the Olympic diving gold medalist. Mm. You know, one teen became a roadie. You know, that's my dream. For some teens, it was. I mean, you got to really love a band to have that dream as a kid. Yeah, Yeah, I love it. It's like like make a wish for non dying kids. Yeah, that's (laughs) That's exactly it. Yeah, I love it. And that'd be a lot of fun. And I I was totally on board for saving this discussion for a later show because of the time last week, but we're in the exact same predicament. Yeah. See, that's the thing. I was like, guys, we need to save this for next week because we've talked too long about this previous show so let's just save it for next week how wrong i was yeah (laughs) we talked about the debut of batman the animated series how well it it holds up its legacy how many things it spun off how it's still resonant in every piece of merchandise and this is a huge one because i can't think of a lot of comparable things to this joker's favor that episode airs we have all said mark hamill is our favorite joker most people can say that uh but it's the first appearance of harley quinn and it's that wonderful distinction of she is a pure creation of batman the animated series that was so readily embraced by the Batman and comic community, community, she was almost instantly folded into comics. First, via the comics that were based on and looked like Batman the Animated Series. And then just completely folded in to DC canon as a huge comic fan. Remember when they replaced the Human Torch in the 60s Fantastic cartoon with Robbie the Robot because they didn't want people lighting themselves on fire like Human Torch? He was cut out. <laughs> yes, Marvel would eventually, like, put Robbie in a comic, but it is not the same as the popularity of Harley Quinn. To, I think girl, to put... Girl's got, what, two leading movies and a cartoon show that's on HBO yes. right now, which got renewed. That show is fantastic. Harley Quinn on HBO. It's amazing. And literally this week, there is an episode where she goes into Bruce Wayne's unconscious and it looks like Batman the Animated Series. Oh, that's hilarious. Nice. I'm not caught up. And she, cur- current Harley has to deal with first appearance style Harley. And, oh, it's nice. fantastic. I, I had love to, that show. If I you had like to, the Venture Brothers, Harley Quinn is I had to tell someone with kids, like, she loves Harley Quinn and there's a show I hear on HBO. I'm like, this is children. surprisingly dirty for, for a DC Batman show that Batman is yeah, also I, in. I, I believe they use the C word in that show. Yeah, it, it is It is surprisingly yeah. harsh, but great. Harley Quinn, but just an immediate success. Yeah. I was, So I have, oh. I have never seen a comic book character resonate with women the way that harley quinn does yeah ever not not wonder woman not supergirl not any of the marvel characters harley quinn for whatever reason has resonated with the female population far more than everybody's had a bad boyfriend exactly what i was gonna say everyone has had a relationship where they turned into somebody else and then they look back and like what the fuck was Uh... i thinking what? A goddamn psychiatrist. How did I let him do that to me? And then he snaps his fingers and you come running back. But it's the s- sad thing is depiction of an abusive relationship. It is trivially easy to find T-shirts or merchandise that say something like, I don't want a relationship like the notebook. I want a relationship like the Joker and Harley Quinn. No, you don't. Oh, honey, you, no. I know. I know. I'm with you. But that's <laughs> out there. That's out there. You can absolutely see that. A lot of people out there romanticize the Joker and Harley relationship, and it's deeply unhealthy. Yes. However, however, she is a great character with a great origin story as the Joker's therapist. He converts to madness and chaos. And 
I, 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 I like that women had a, a cool, you know, but, you know, look up to Catwoman, not, not, not Harley. But Harley yeah. is hilarious and very sexy. And, and I, I know that's not cool to talk about, but in terms of being sexualized, I was very attracted to Harley Quinn, and I'm just astonished by all this, all this, these comic book assholes responding like shitheads to having women in comics. That wasn't the case with Harley. Like, comic fans were into it in a way that I really wish I could just, like, show people who putting out shitty She-Hulk memes right now. Harley was not only embraced by comic fans, it was embraced by DC, and that really doesn't happen very often, where a comic character is created outside the medium of comics. And I believe Harley Quinn had, we did a laser time show about how long your transition from the comic page to the, the big screen was. And Harley had the shortest period. It took decades to get Captain America on screen. It took decades to get Black Panther on screen, Iron Man. Harley Quinn did it in like 20 years. And it, the record was on, only beaten recently by Spider-Gwen hmm. in, uh, in, in Spider-Verse. She's, other than that, like, yeah, characters don't get created that fast and get turned into Marvel MCU characters as fast as Harley did. No DC character yeah. has. Uh, yep. Maybe so, Cyborg. Yep. I want to talk about The Voice. Yes, please. Harley Sorkin. Okay. Because it just, it changes a little bit over time. Because mm -hmm. I went back and I started rewatching the Batman the Animated Series in order and, you know, hit this episode. Because it's one weekend. It's one weekend. And, and they're rolling out new characters. Originally, her voice is almost exactly the same as Judy Holliday's yeah. from huh. Born Yesterday, a movie from 1950. It migrates over time where it's very high-pitched, ditzy Brooklyn accent. She's very up here kind of talking like this. And over time, it has shifted into Gene Harlow territory, huh. which... About three people listening to this, they're, they're like, yay! I got a clip of Judy Holiday from Born Yesterday, so you can contrast and compare. Oh, it gets down to what should be the laws and what shouldn't. Is Harry more important than anybody else? No. Then how come he's got so much to say? Whoever voted for him? Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I hear it. hear it there. And just, that's where it starts. And Holy over time, shit. it gets just a little more aggressive. And she wants to hit people with more baseball bats. And it, and it turns into Gene Harlow. It's crazy that, yeah, Mar that's very specifically what Margot Robbie is basing her performance off she always sounded a little bit like britney murphy and clueless to me but she's an australian so she's she's having to dig yeah. for that in inspiration as well so that's mad interesting god i love harley yeah Quinn. yeah but you sure how soft she sounds at first and then over time she gets a little bit more aggressive what about what I, i'm gonna get in the citizen what citizen kane's uh oh, oh yeah right. yeah, yeah. Uh, that, but that's harley quinn yeah she yeah had one of the fastest transitions to like mainstream like awareness of any dc character i can think of in my lifetime in my lifetime i can't yeah. think of a character that became this popular this fast and it comes from the animated series it's just those guys and it's all there that she's you know she's in this abusive relationship with the joker she's you know she she loves him he treats her like shit mm -hmm. and she just wants to impress him by hurting people and it's so sad. It's, it starts out, it's already yeah. like, oh, honey, no. It's so sad, but so interesting. And just another one of those elements that buoys the legacy of Batman TAS in general. So hats off. That was 30 years ago. Real quick for games. Uh, Team USA basketball. Basketball. Oh, I wish there was a basketball game for Genesis. That's the dream <laughs> yeah, team. You know, it was just the age of the dream team. And this is the first time I think that you could 
play all these characters against right. each other. Stupid Jordan just, wouldn't yeah. wouldn't be an NBA Jam. Uh, and then you get Todd's Adventure in the Slime World on Genesis. <laughs> it's exactly what it sounds like. Um, Pretty much, <laughs> although there's a whole bunch of different ways to play this game, which is oh, very unusual for Genesis games. Mm. Uh, you have different ways of progressing. It's nominally an action game, but sometimes it becomes a puzzle game. Ah, poorly thought out Genesis game. Who'd have thought? <laughs> okay. uh, and then Music of 1992, uh, End of the Road by Boys to Men is still number one. Remember, from brought to you by the Boomerang soundtrack, we also have new releases, including Kingdom of Desire by Toto, Sweet Oblivion by Screaming Trees, The Chase by Garth Brooks. Jesus Christ, growing up in the <laughs> South, that was unavoidable. Comfort. That's a black and white shirt yeah. with the black and white background. Oh, you're you're not going to tell me. It. Comfort by Failure, Dose by Gerardo, Hollywood Town Hall by the Jayhawks, The Pure Country soundtrack by George Strait. He was also the star, wasn't he? And uh, You Gotta Believe, the second and final album by Marky Mark and the Fucky Bunch. What? I didn't know they were still releasing music now. Tomb of the Mutilated by Cannibal Corpse. And we're going to close out with Seattle Fave, Nearly Lost You by Screaming Trees. Great song. Stay right there, people. That was our big segment, but we still have a lot more to get through as we move into 2002. Don't move. into 2002 with Never Like This Before by Peter Wolf off Sleepless which was on Rolling Stone's top 500 albums list but was bumped off in 2020. Sorry uh, bro. Sorry bro. Uh, you had your time in the spotlight though. Welcome to 2002 September 9th to the 15th. New releases this week also include Paradise by Kenny G. Just <laughs> want to shout out HBO's documentary on Kenny G is amazing. He is like Dude. the highest selling artist you don't care about. And, and it's just sort of a fasc, fascinating guy who ended up creating a genre of terrible music just by playing the music that he liked. <laughs> Scars by Gary Moore is out here. And then there's The Art of Balance by Shadows Fall and Heavy Traffic by Status Quo. Dilemma by Nelly featuring Kelly Rowland is still number one. Hey, 2002. How about a little 9-11 recovery, eh? Uh, the Pentagon is uh, rededicated after repairs are finally complete. Exactly one, one year almost to the day of the attack on the building. We wish the Pentagon well. <laughs> Something I just can't imagine anyone saying. Yeah, it's the one year anniversary of 9-11. And there's, they're still digging and they're still finding pieces of people in New York. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is, I think it's just on the, like the onion page from 9-11 of just saying, yeah, attack on the Pentagon is page 16. It's like, <laughs> nobody, nobody gives a shit because it got so overshadowed. But obviously there's, memorials and everyone gets very upset yes yeah, you know uh it's... so it wasn't just the fire um but there was water damage and then mold damage caused by the thousands of gallons of water that flooded the building after the attack so yeah it took a lot to rebuild that i i i, I know we said it back then but it is the longest uh, period i think of american trauma I have ever lived through and probably will ever live through. It was like a wound that's continued to fester for year through war and 
political strife would just ripple for a long, long time. Like we said back then, there's like a list of hundreds of songs that cannot still be played on the radio a year later because of associations with Crash Into Me. And we're still seeing a bunch of music come out that's lots of like, oh, you know, American pride, gonna fight for yep. our rights and make pride. Come on up for the rising. Say offensive things about people wearing towels on their heads because I'm an asshole. <laughs> Moving into my own personal trauma, a <laughs> bunch of comedic people I trusted to have my best interests at heart mm-hmm. let me down. That includes, is he, he's in the cast, Bruce McCullough, but this is him directing. This is, yep. sometimes he's my favorite kid in the hall because he's just so weird and silly looking. <laughs> Not unlike there was that, Timeline, uh, alternate timeline of Bob Odenkirk doesn't get a lot of acting work. I'm going to be a film director and makes a bunch of movies that are not well received. Happened to Bruce McCullough, Kids in the Hall, too. Seymour Cassell, Chris Penn, Megan Mullally, Tammy Blanchard, John C. McGinley, Richard Jenkins, Dennis Farina, Leslie Mann, Tom Green, and Jason Lee. Two people I thought were fucking hysterical in, in, uh, in Stealing Harvard. I um, love all of these people so much, yeah. and I want better things for them. Yeah, and, and I don't think it's anybody's fault, because I don't know that, you know... You really get to choose what you direct. This is clearly like one of those projects some Hollywood executive thinks is a great idea. And, and, and it comes from one of the writers of the Larry Sanders show. <laughs> Do you remember the episode of The Office where Michael Scott promised a group of elementary school students that he would pay for their education? <laughs> I remember he declared bankruptcy. Yeah. <laughs> but this is the film version of that because he's shown a videotape in which he promises to pay for his niece's college education, which is a heck of a thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's not a small thing to do. Oh, what do you think? Also not legally binding. Not legally binding. <laughs> yeah. And he doesn't start saving at that moment. No. I mean, like I, I have bonds for my college education from literally when I was born. My parents started saving. Yeah, me too. My wife and I did too um, yeah. for our kids. What is your guess for the price to attend one year of Harvard, including room and board? The, the, now or back then? This year. This year. This year. I really, and I'm being super nice to Harvard here. I'm going to say 70 grand. We got 70 grand. I'm going to go 86. $75,891. Oh! Oh, shit. One year. One year. One year. Holy shit. It's like, I uh... mean, I'm, I'm doing all right. I cannot afford that. Yeah. I I don't know who could afford that. No, Um, that's go to Harvard. (laughs) That's like double my income. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can't even afford to go to Red Lobster. Uh, Patreon.com yeah. slash. So, but this, <laughs> this one is like, what? He needs like 30 grand. He needs the last 30 grand because he's got grants or whatever. But it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. It, you know what sounds like a good idea? Student loans, but with like 1% interest. How Here. come with all the student loan stuff I've been hearing about? It's like, you should, if it's a loan for an education, it should not carry the same debt as anything else. I, I, How I, about I, 0% interest student loans? Yeah, I, I love that our English listeners have no idea what the fuck we're talking about. I think like there's like a subgenre of really shitty comedy starring talented people that is all about. Oh, I got to raise this money and I don't know how. And they have to come up with a clever crime caper to mm-hmm. get into college or get Jack Warden a new heart and dirty work. And it just whatever the <laughs> fuck Dave Chappelle and Norm MacDonald were doing and screwed. All... I think everyone can understand. I desperately need this money for X. Yeah. Now, in my opinion, your niece wanting to go to the most expensive college <laughs> in the entire world is not a reason to go do the crime. Right. But, you know. 
if you have like my mom needs this heart operation or she'll die then you've got your your solid plot of we need to do the crime yeah like i is the 30 grand just for the first year though yeah. So and, he's going to have to keep doing this. Yeah. Do, do, sequel potential, baby. Ah, they wanted a franchise. Okay. It would be like sophomore year stealing Harvard. Stealing Harvard. Just, just a huge bummer. But love Bruce McCullough. It's just, it's just not funny. That's yeah. the problem. It just comes down to it's not funny. It's they a, come up with a couple different capers and they're just, they're just not that funny. Yeah. Um, no. Nope. Although, I mean, I would, if Richard Jenkins wanted to pay me to cuddle him. Uh, uh, I'd be up for it because he's a talented man. Yeah, Oscar nominee. God damn it. Someone did open a cuddle cafe recently. No sex. You just pay to be cuddled. What the and hell? Apparently, it did very well. I don't even think Japan does that. What the hell? And yeah, speak- that's like a running gag in this movie. Is this old weird guy wants to cuddle people. Anyway, speaking of not funny, <laughs> and I really meant to rewatch this because I did not like it when I saw it just because I don't like seeing Robin Williams like this it, in the movie with also starring Clark Gregg, Aaron Daniels, Eric LaSalle, Gary Cole, Dylan Smith, Michael Vartan, Connie Nielsen, and of course Robin Williams in one hour photo. Oh, he's so fucking creepy. Uh, he's on a roll. What the hell? The last time we talked about him was Insomnia where he's so creepy. And this one, it's like, oh, that wasn't creepy enough. Let me be creepier. Yeah. This is such a career resurgence for Robin Williams, you know, once you see this, what can't he act as? Yeah. I mean, I I went into this blind. I had no idea what type of movie I was in store. Oh, really? Uh, That's hilarious. (laughs) None. I was living in Japan. And I think one of my friends rented this at the DVD store. We put it in and we just started watching it. There's a lot of anime mentioned in this. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we just started watching it. And I was like transfixed. I remember it as being like, and all of us were. The entire crowd was just like on pins and needles watching this creepy creepy performance late at night yeah and and, and i i'm i'm judging myself here because after robin williams death which we will have to cover on this show in about 18 months i i have reevaluated robin williams career and in in, in learning more about him like dude the dude was a trained actor who sort of got himself into comedy but like he's got chops he's like it, it just because i don't want to see him not be the funny guy because i always want the genie from aladdin i probably judge this movie too harshly because once he died everyone was like this performance is incredibly compelling and yeah. he really disappears into it and he didn't have that opportunity very often true mm-hmm. yeah this is i mean i find it really interesting it's written and directed by mark romanek who's only made a couple movies but is one of the top names in music video directings he did closer by nine inch nails he did the johnny cash oh, hurt video oh, one of the best scream with michael and janet jackson i mean oh, shit. huge huge guy huge guy and that this was a story he wanted to tell i found really like i want to know more about mark romanek now like what's going on in your brain bro because the plot of this movie is robin williams works at like a photo processing place in like a like a supermarket kind of place like a walmart and he becomes obsessed with this family and Mm -hmm. is like making extra copies of their photos and stalking them in it it escalating to really creepy scary stalking just because he's become (laughs) obsessed with just this one family for no apparent reason they seem like they are so white bread mayonnaise sandwich of a family there is nothing unique but 
I think that's what he wants. You know, it's hinted mm. at in this film that he was a victim of child porn. I don't mm. know if that's how you phrase that, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah, yeah. So he desperately probably wanted some normal family and he clutched onto these people because he has nothing in his life. He goes home to like the emptiest, drabbiest place and he's got such dead eyes doing everything except interacting with this family. And there is such an incredible, creepy shot where you see he's made copies of these families' photos because, younger listeners, it's a one-hour photo place. This is before the age of digital. Mm -hmm. You had to go into a store, give them your physical film. They copied this for you and gave you your pictures. He's been making duplicates of every picture this family has taken and he has them all over his wall in this like oh my god moment Mm -hmm. this guy what would this guy not do you know i i can tell you if if i ever found someone had done that to my family all gloves are off i'm getting the police i'm getting the army i would i would change i'm changing countries (laughs) yeah 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 i mean you spend so much the movie of like does he is he obsessed with the mom? Does he want to marry the mom? Is he just want to be part of this family? Oh, he or, absolutely wants or does he want to? Or does he want to annihilate them? There's no, also we, fear of like, what is he gonna do? We see his fantasy uh, in another amazingly creepy scene where he apparently sneaks into their house mm-hmm. and he's just no hanging way. out and he's inserting himself into their lives and then. They come home and you, the audience, is thinking, oh, crap, he's going to be discovered. But they greet him warmly and kindly as if he was one of the family. And I think that's when you're seeing his fantasy, that he is a member of this family. Yeah. Yeah. No, one one hour photo, extremely creepy movie. But God, Robin Williams is so good in it that, yeah, it's off-putting. It's like, but that's not the Robin that I love. I'm scared of him. Like, yeah. even in Insomnia, where he is extremely scary as a as a character it's still like relatable like he's still recognizably human with his all his like weird evil planning and murders and such but this guy is like i i don't know what he's an alien (laughs) yeah i don't i don't know how society could help this guy yeah uh, there's not enough therapy no not at all this is just lock him away and uh don't let the key ever see the light of day but really (laughs) well done film tons of lovely little touches that just show they deeply cared about this Mm -hmm. like robin williams tells the kid that he was a sickly child and specifically mentions that he had mono and hepatitis both of Mm -hmm. which are sexually transmitted Mm -hmm. so i think that ties into him being sexually abused by his parents yeah an effective yet unsettling film that i just can't bring myself to rewatch. Yeah. Uh, well, it's like Taxi Driver. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Good comparison. It's it's a lot like Taxi Driver. Hmm. That way. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I never looked at it like that. Maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Put yeah. Put him on a T-shirt and, and throughout the entire nineties. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't understand that. I yeah. Just, I just. I had a Taxi Driver T-shirt. I'm, I'm part of the problem. What? Yeah. What? What movie did you guys watch? Because I know what movie I watched. It was called Taxi Driver. <laughs> it was not about good times. No. No. You should only. Uh, you should, men should only see themselves in Albert Brooks. That's. <laughs> but anyway. He's the real hero. <laughs> But anyway. moving on to 
holy shit one of the biggest comedies i can remember ever existing uh, especially for the for the amount it costs with a great great cast uh <laughs> cedric the entertainer keith david uh leonard earl house uh michael uh eli eli troy gardy uh, eve sean patrick thomas anthony anderson and ice cube everyone's favorite republican uh it's number one at the box office for a while barbershop sometimes finding the strength get out to do what's right here go your money back i'm putting it right here on the table man you're gonna take this money you're gonna take this money it's in the people we can't talk straight in the barbershop then where can we talk straight right beside you rodney king should have got beat for driving drunk and being grown in a hyundai (laughs) barbershop barbershop It actually brought real controversy. The, the scene where Cedric the Entertainer is like, look, I won't say this in front of white people, but there's three black things black people have to understand. OJ did it. Um, Rodney King deserved to get his ass beat. And Rosa Parks is not a hero. She was just tired. <laughs> <laughs> and people were like very offended by that. <laughs> like, uh, they, but they were. That was like, yeah, like that was discussed on the news. Because it's the pre-Twitter, pre-social media world, you know, Uh, certain subgroups watch what they say around majority groups and they mm -hmm. don't necessarily like to air dirty laundry in public, quote unquote. Now, that kind of got erased with Twitter and social media. But back in 2002, it was very much like there are some things you don't talk about in, quote unquote, public. Yeah, well, just the Rosa Parks things in particular, it's like. She did that on purpose so she would get arrested to make a point. And Cedric the Entertainer's character is like, no, she was just tired and wanted to sit her ass down. Well, well, no, Cedric the Entertainer's character in this film says that she a whole bunch of people did it before her and that she Mm -hmm. only got attention because she was secretary of i forget yeah for the um, naacp yeah yes, yeah yes, no yes. he actually so, is right about that yeah, and but, he's right about anyway. that, that wasn't common knowledge because the 2002 narrative was just that rosa parks was this average person and this was kind of like going the first thing of no it was actually highly highly premeditative good for it but yep. it was premeditated yeah anyway so barbershop produced also by ice cubes during mm-hmm. ice cube uh about you know a guy who's inherited uh his dad's barbershop he doesn't really want it. He sells it to Keith David dressed in the finest of pimpery. And he's supposed <laughs> to be just a businessman. And my God, he is dressed so fine. His hat is always at just the right angle. It's just, yes. And then like changes his mind. It's like, no, the barbershop is like community. Like it's important to us. And there's a whole bunch of characters coming in and out. Like Eve's boyfriend is cheating on her. And, you know, this guy thinks he's better than everyone because he was trying to get an education and there's like the one white guy that no one trusts to cut their hair (laughs) um and yeah and then meanwhile completely disjointed like in another movie entirely is anthony anderson stealing an atm and trying to break it open and it is and the atm is empty it turns out it's empty and that story runs completely separate from the rest of the movie until the very end and i i kind of love that because it's like Kind of like stealing Harvard. It's like this cannot sustain its own movie, but as a combined twenty minutes, perfect. Do it. Put it in the movie. Yeah, yeah. That's probably a good trade-off. We don't want to see a whole movie based on around that. Put it in yeah. an ensemble comedy. 
Yeah, and it keeps escalating where it's like, you know, first little sister sees them and it's like, uh, now you got to bribe me with $10. They got to move it somewhere. Then they, you know, but it's hard to move. And then they take it to a motel and they end up setting everything on fire. There's just a whole bunch of goofy gimmicks, little bits about how hard it is to move and then break into an ATM. Meanwhile, there's, yeah, all this fun stuff going on, the different characters, how they're interacting, the idea of, yeah, barbershops, being a small business owner, how hard that is, how important it is. Yeah, I just, I loved it. It's not, it's not quite (laughs) the, uh, I wanted a whole movie out of the coming to America barbershop scene, but it's almost that. (laughs) It's almost. And it's just, there's some fun conversations. I mean, all the characters are really well sketched. I like how they interact. A lot of it's really funny, but it's not just a comedy, you know? But the comedy bits, like they, they had a little bit in the clip there where Ice Cube changes his mind. He got a bunch of money from Keith David to buy the barbershop, changes his mind, tries to give him the money back. <laughs> and and the henchman keeps chasing him with it. Like, no, take the money. And it's like, I don't want your money. Stop trying to give me money. He's <laughs> literally trying to jump over a fence. Like, no, I don't want any money. Go away. It, it also made me think like, uh, I think because of where I'm born, I and maybe because he keeps his stage name, I can never think of Ice Cube as an actor first um he's always mm-hmm. a musician first but like this just made me reflect on like dude this guy has launched several fucking franchises that seem to like come out of nowhere but he just has done it pretty consistently from friday to ride along to the family there yet <laughs> series <laughs> that i believe he's also involved in producing like I, I just I sat back and watching a little bit. It's like I I didn't realize how much money Ice Ice Cube probably has <laughs> because this mm-hmm. this was a twelve million dollar movie that went on to make a ton of money, launch the career yeah. of uh, Tim Story, and uh, go on to what an unlikely franchise. Yeah, and Tim Story who went on to direct Fantastic Four. Both. <laughs> what the hell? Still, and yeah, this this has two follow ups, a, a spin off, a TV show that didn't run very long, but. I was I I was a little bit worried because I was like, okay, I'm walking into a quote unquote black movie. And sometimes it's a sometimes it's a style of humor, it just never works for me. Or it's gonna be like too specific to one time or one place or something, you know, sometimes just old com- sometimes comedies don't age well. And I was like so pleasantly surprised by this. Like it's got heart, it's got feeling, it's got a lot of really good jokes. Yeah. And it, it definitely sold the idea of like com- how community is where you find it and you you need to have these spaces more relatable and pleasant than stealing harvard by a billion fucking miles and it's just it's bizarre that like 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 this is that's the type of comedy hollywood puts money behind and not this but just i guess you got to give credit to like uh i would say black moviegoers because they'll support a kind of film that I don't think other moviegoers or studios would even give a chance. I don't think no one saw Barbershop coming out being one of the highest grossing movies of the comedies of the year. I definitely didn't. Mm-hmm. And it, it becomes quite well, the juggernaut. The yeah. jokes are funny. The characters are people you care about. Mm-hmm. It's a winner. Yeah. Barbershop, baby. Yep. Not bad. And, and uh, surprise, holds up surprisingly. Um, yeah. I was really expecting maybe some topical jokes or something that wouldn't age after 20 years, but nah. No, watching a, a lady get mad and beat up on a car with a baseball bat is always funny. Especially when it isn't the right boyfriend's car. It's right. just <laughs> a different guy's car who's like oh. hearing about it in the background and is laughing yeah. his ass off that someone's oh, getting their what, car beat up. What kind of car is it? Oh, it's a Corolla. Oh, that's a that's good car. I got that kind of car. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Moving on to television, we good? 
You good? Um, uh, September 9th to the 15th of TV, 2002, Digimon Frontiers debuts. And I'm sorry, kids, I will never be able to tell you anything about any Digimon <laughs> property. So this is the fourth Digimon cartoon. It runs for 50 episodes. As far as I can tell, the big difference is instead of being trainers for Digimon, they transform into Digimon. Um. So it's a very uh, Japanese concept. I think that's what they did with the Avengers in the Japanese animated version. I'm not kidding. They're teenagers who transform into Iron Man and Captain America. Uh, huh. Yeah, it's kind of a common common trope over there. Don't, don't know it, nor do I know Family Affair, the show that they've used this week as well. Uh, remake. remake. Mm. Yeah, remake of the old show, uh, this time with Tim Curry. As I mean, it's, it's like Mr. Belvedere. There's the little kids and there's like the butler type guy. Yeah, the original show is from 1966. Why? Why are you doing this? No one cares. Yeah, I didn't get it. And I don't know. They paired it with Sabrina the Teenage Witch. It, it would follow that. And it's like, yeah, whatever. Uh, it made it not even one season. And just a mild follow-up on the topic on the death of Saturday morning. One of the biggest, maybe the biggest Saturday morning cartoon of all time is Scooby-Doo. Mm -hmm. yeah. But due to corporate acquisitions... Ten years later, you will never see Scooby-Doo on any channel that isn't owned by Warner Brothers. That yeah. will never happen again. So this thing that built Saturday morning can't ever be a part of it again. And this is a... I am not up on my Scooby-Doo, but I love reading about it because <laughs> the reboots are always pretty good. And, and this is a reboot that, uh, yeah, it, it maintains most of the voice cast and looks a lot like the old one. Yeah, this is a very, very solid reboot. Other than Mystery Inc., I would say this is the best version of Scooby-Doo. Huh. Uh, Mystery Inc. still gets the top spot. Guess what number of Scooby-Doo this is. Television oh, my show. God. They rebooted oh, it every God. year in the 70s, so that's so hard to say. Don't, okay, don't this, even have an answer. This ran three seasons, mm -hmm. and it is the ninth Scooby-Doo. Wow. <laughs> God. Yeah. And it also, in this version, at the request of Casey Kasem, Shaggy is a vegetarian. Yes, that's where that comes from. This <laughs> this this show. Yep. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I do give the nod to Mystery Inc. Mystery Inc. leans into the absurdity of Scooby Doo and makes fun of it. This one just wants you to accept the absurdity of Scooby Doo as is. But it's still a good show. If you want a Scooby Doo show, you could do a lot worse. Yeah, and I'm. Uh, I, I want to say this is streaming on HBO Max, but uh. That is, you can never, you can't guarantee that from moment to moment these days, given whatever's going on over there. Also this week, Ozzy and Drix debuts. Ozzy and Drix, does that name ring a bell to, to Yeah, yeah, it's listeners? based on that failed cartoon, which had a live action Bill Murray, where you go inside yes. his body. The Fairly Brothers to... Osmosis Jones. Yes. In this episode, Bill Murray's characters gets bitten by a mosquito, and Ozzy and Drix, the two antibodies and antihistamine go into a child's body instead oh gross yeah uh. <laughs> <laughs> well because they didn't want this main character of your kids cartoon show to be gross bill murray loser guy so they put him in a kid's body and you see how a kid's body works including puberty Oh, dear. I mean, this is where it should have been. Like, it should have just been an, an animated movie or animated show. I, yeah. I hated, honestly, the live action parts of that, like, I didn't care for, but I actually found most of the animated parts of Osmosis Jones pretty interesting yeah. and, and clever and quite, you know, visually striking. So, yeah, thanks. Make 
just make the, the, the cartoon spinoff for 26 whole episodes. And in another show, Tim, Keir, Tim Curry has premiering this week. What a workhorse. Yay. What a workhorse. We love him. The, this show also, this week also has the debut of Fillmore. So yeah, this is a very good cartoon for kids. This is CSI for children. What? Okay. Oh. I'm not kidding. This is all about uh, why do people do bad things? And it doesn't go for the cartoon answer of bad people are bad, so they do bad things because they're bad. Fillmore, the lead character, is a former delinquent. He's still a juvenile, <laughs> but he got reformed, and it's set in middle school, and now he's a hall monitor. And now wow. Other delinquents and trying to get them to go he, straight. He's a white hat delinquent at 12. How do you <laughs> yes. have that kind of reformation? And he is stone cold. Listen to this clip of him talking to one of his perps who is, is trying to come on to him. People have feelings for you. Can't you look the other way? Just this once. You played me for a sucker, Penny. I'm not going out like that. Not for you. Not anymore. Be at HQ first thing in the morning. Don't make me come get you. <laughs> this, this all the cadence of like a goddamn, like, uh, what's a good topic? Mar Marlo story, basically. Yeah. In a middle school. He's talking her to her. I have, sorry, this is a bad example, but I know both my co-hosts will get it. The, the way Mitchell talks to the woman who keeps showing up at his apartment. Um, yes. Yes. Oh. The hard-nosed cop. I'm playing by all the rules. You betrayed me. Yeah, I don't know anything about this. I've it's, never... it's great. It has the message that people are more than the sum of their past actions. It's a really amazing take for a kid's cartoon to take. Yeah. And uh, what about the fighting foodons, which is something I... Oh, for fuck's sake. It's a monster fighting show where the kids are the chef and the monsters that fight are food. Okay. Uh, and we move on. I don't, I've never, I've never, this is a rare one I've never heard of. Always turn my eye towards a cartoon, but um, mm. yeah, don't know it. Yeah. Japanese import that was already over in Japan. I think when it came over here. Great. But that was very big at the time. That was rounding out, the, like, because uh, Scooby Doo's on the WB and Cartoon Network. But like, this shit was all the rage on a uh, the kids' WB, if I recall. Because speaking of which, you got Kirby, Kirby's first first American show. Right back at you. What a great name for a Kirby show. <laughs> I had no idea that Kirby had a cartoon show. Honestly, none at all. But Kirby is a baby essentially, so he doesn't speak much. So the two main characters in this cartoon are two children, a brother and sister team named Tiff and Tuff. And I guess that's where you go if your main character can't really speak. You know, so. Yeah, but there's some weird moments in this, y'all. This this probably won't make great radio, but Kirby shoots a fully automatic gun in this series. For a long time. Yeah, it's not a thing. <laughs> oh, at recognizable video game characters as well. And I, I this was never a good bit. But I only discovered it, and I was transfixed. If you go to the Wikipedia, look at the episodes, and then read the Japanese titles as Troy McClure. You may remember me from the episode 
check it out, Channel DDD. Or Angry, The Wispy Woods. <laughs> or The Pink Visitor. Or Oh No, The Search for the Soldier's House. <laughs> I always have two names. I, never mind. Again, it doesn't work, but it makes me giggle. Good Lord. I remember I, I was just doing some The Stargate Super Nintendo game I thought was pretty good. Ever cared about the movie? It has had, it, I think, a dozen television shows that I have not seen one frame of. Is this Stargate Infinity? Yes, this is Stargate Infinity, which is a animated cartoon show. So uh. there, there was Stargate SG-1, Stargate Atlantis, Stargate Universe, and then the web series Stargate Origins, and then this animated series Stargate Infinity. So if you want the entire Stargate Universe... Dude, it's crazy. It is crazy. Uh, I know I made a video at it where I found like eight different Stargate logos of stuff I've just never heard of. Whereas like, you know, I think when we're all about the same age, starving for sci-fi, would you have believed Stargate would go on to have this kind of longevity? No. Okay. 10.6 days. If you want to watch every single piece wow. of Stargate media that has ever been made, wow. it would take you 10.6 days of continuous 24-7 viewing. Do you think he, Kurt Russell oh, even remembers man. he was in that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, this it's, franchise it's, lasted more than 20 years. Yeah. With with all all of the various Stargates. I didn't even know there was an animated show, which makes a lot of sense to me because that way you can have aliens in it a lot easier. I mean, you know, Star Trek did that route. It had a cartoon yeah. version, so I can see the sense behind it. And, you know, it has your typical kick-ass theme song. Oh. oh no. the so long ago, the Stargate we broke the Now it takes us to the universe on a mission to get back to Earth. Okay, I love it when a theme song tells me what's going on. In case you are any doubts about what the stargate does boom there you go oh and every other tv show get out of the way i think we're all in agreement on this nothing was more exciting this week 20 years ago fourth season debut of the sopranos for all debts public and private i believe this was the first episode i pirated and i got the uh, <laughs> like a, an award screener and that was the first time that ever happened uh, with a show I was really fucking into. Telling all my friends to come over and give it a watch. Okay episode. Oh, it's an awesome episode. This yeah. is the episode where Christopher is told by Tony that the man who killed his father is retiring. Yes. And that therefore Christopher can kill the man who killed his father. Doesn't matter. But, he wants you dead. But... <laughs> He doesn't know if he's lying or not. Yep. In fact, he actively thinks, yeah, Tony could absolutely be making this all up and I will that have was... to kill you no matter what. The line I remember is like, he, he says, you might be, doesn't matter. He wants you dead. So that he wouldn't have told me this unless he wanted you dead. Yeah. And this is the first episode filmed after 9 11. Mm -hmm. Sorry, it's going to keep coming up and up. And uh, this is mm -hmm. no Twin Towers in the opening credits. They're just not but, there anymore. This is a great episode. It also has a fantastic scene where Tony is berating his subordinates because of the recession. And come here, hat in my hand. 
Sting is a pyramid since time immemorial. Shit runs downhill, money goes up. It's that simple. I should not have to be coming here, hat in my hand, reminding you about your duty to that man. And I don't want to hear about the fucking economy either. I don't want to hear it. So, break it down for me. <laughs> I love this. What two businesses have traditionally been recession-proof since time immemorial? Certain aspects of show business and our thing. <laughs> Unforgettable. <laughs> I knew that whole, I, was able, I would have been yeah. able to quote that whole thing. I love and, that. And quote. it ends with one of my favorite quotes, which I've used till it just becomes something I say, frankly, I'm depressed and ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this is a really important episode. If you want to hear more about it, I'm going to plug uh, yeah. Talking Terrific Television. On this episode, episode one of season four, we did have special guest Matthew Allen. So if oh, you want to hear him talk about this episode, just uh, look up Talking Terrific Television. A VGA fame? Maddie a Allen? VGA fame. Yeah, it, I, I'm only... It's such a dumb anecdote, but like I'd never been able to pirate a Sopranos episode this early, and it has that uh, weird. The only thing that's it's, the thing that separates it from other normal Sopranos episodes. Remember, it ends on a shot of the dollar bill, and the credits are played over yeah. that instead of black. The screener I got had no credits on it, so I thought the entire thing was broken. This is a really deep <laughs> Sopranos. Anecdote. This is just a whole song played over a picture of a dollar bill. What the fuck is this stuck? Um, yeah, dumb, I just dumb, saw dumb. a tweet the other day about like the end of Better Call Saul, the same thing. They, they had it paused on a shot of Bob Odenkirk looking pensive, and they didn't realize it was paused, and they just sat there watching it for four minutes straight, going like, <laughs> wow, he is really giving a performance here. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, God. Moving on to games of uh, 2002, we got Dino Stalker on PS2, which sounds like a game named by the news or a sitcom in the 80s right. making up their own video game. I wish there were more good dinosaur games, but this is not one of them. It seems like it should be a natural fit. None really come to mind. Yeah, uh, but I, you know, I'll, I'll save those two for last because I think they're the hugest. Uh, Scorpion King: Rise of the Acadian on PS2. Little late, who cares? It's it's a prequel. So if you are desperate Jesus. for more information on the Rock's character, here you go. A prequel to a prequel. Oh, no. uh, Mega Man Zero, an OK Mega Man game on GBA. We got uh, Monsters Inc. Scream Arena on GameCube and Tarzan's Return to the Jungle on a Game Boy. Screen Arena is a dodgeball game. Mm. So, ever wanted to play dodgeball <laughs> against the monsters? Yeah, characters? that's the first thing I think of. Um... <laughs> yeah, that's what I think of. And Tarzan on GBA, you can't attack at all. You can yeah. only dodge. You can you There's... can you can only wait for your enemies to hang themselves. <laughs> <laughs> it's just I, it's really weird to not have a uh, way to attack in a video game. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, and then uh, two of the biggest video game franchises. Uh, this is wasn't that huge for me, but um, I know for a lot of other people it was. Let's see if the commercial can tell, give us a hint. Here's the true story. Of four friends picked to live in a video game. And find out what happens when they stop being themselves. And start being someone else. Animal, Animal Crossing, Crossing for Nintendo, Nintendo GameCube. GameCube. Nobody wants to trade insects with me, no matter how many notes I leave them. Why am I always the one cleaning the house and picking the peaches? Where's my big fat hammock time? So tense. Welcome to Animal Crossing, the life game that's happening every minute of every day, whether you're playing or not. So do you want to swap fossils with me later, or...? Ready to eat for everyone. This would have been a great joke had anybody known what Animal Crossing was in the U.S. 
<laughs> right. It it would have been perfect marketing, but this is not how you introduce a game, especially yeah. a game that is virtually creating its own genre. Okay, there had been slice of life games before. Sure. You know, you've got your farming the games. Sims. The Sims is uh, out. The Sims is out. Harvest Moon is out. This is different because this used your internal clock. So you weren't supposed to do too much every day. You were supposed to just do a little bit each day. And then come back the next day, you know, and that was weird. Yeah, I don't day night cycle. Been... Every every hour has its own song. Yeah. If you uh, boot up this game on Halloween, you get Halloween stuff. You boot it up on Christmas, you get Christmas stuff. But it's supposed to track your own life. It's supposed to be a small oasis of 15 minutes of calm each day. And that is not a bad thing. You know, this is jumping ahead 20 years. God bless this game during the pandemic. I, I do want to say, <laughs> yeah, that. yeah, it was, it was great for me during the pandemic. Definitely brought my chill level. Uh, I have a, a odd relationship That's... with all Animal Crossings just because I play them and play them and play them, and then like you know, look at the pile of laundry behind me in my real house, and just like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> I could go fishing anytime I wanted. I don't want to build, but it's always charming for a couple dozen hours. But this, I think they're yeah, they're, Japan had had something in this series, whether it was named Animal Crossing or not. But this was the debut here, and it was it had so much precise information about what you did and what was happening, it came with its own memory card. Diana, uh, the, the wonderful mm -hmm. distinction between that I wish carried over into every other Animal Crossing game, in a weird, weird time, Nintendo was sort of treating its classic games as sort of useless. So you bought yeah. Animal Crossing, you could unlock classic Nintendo games and play them in your house in Animal Crossing in a way in a way that would cost you hundreds of dollars once the Wii introduced digital catalogs. <laughs> um you there are like hundreds of dollars of NES games in Animal Crossing. Nuts. Yeah, I because in a 2002 content, how could you have played Balloon Fight, Baseball, Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., Donkey Kong Math, Excite Donkey bike. Kong 3, Excite Bike, Golf, Pinball, Punch-Out, Soccer, Tennis, Wario's Woods, all of those, Ice Climber, all of those you could play on this, and that wasn't a thing in 2002. It was Nintendo only through had... those, those stupid e-card readers. <laughs> <laughs> Swiping yeah. a card to get a kilobyte game off of it. It's But it's such a weird game. You're there to take part, not to take control. Mm -hmm. Huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're a citizen. Way you're putting it. I hmm. remember. I think either Brett or Michael wrote it. It, it. it was something about the game being relaxing when it, there was only one game out. It's, the closest thing to the man in this game is a raccoon wearing an apron. And, <laughs> God bless Tom Nook. I'm going to say that that man is a saint. All you guys making fun of him have never bought a house and got a loan because I would do anything to get a yeah. Tom Nook loan. <laughs> ah, yeah. Let's just we'll, we'll move it back another month. All right. One last thing I got to say before Go we move it. on. Have you guys heard the sad story about this game? About the uh, mother's memories or something like that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh -oh. So, Diana, uh -huh. a guy bought Animal Crossing. He was a gamer. He bought it to play. His mother was sick and housebound. So he thought, hey, maybe this is a game my mother will play. So he gives her the game to play. She starts playing it. She starts really liking it. He moves on to other games. Video gamers are like that. They play something for a while and then they move on. Mm -hmm. But his mother keeps playing it and keeps playing it and keeps playing it until she eventually dies. This guy goes through mourning a few years after his mother has died, gets a twinge of memory. He boots up Animal Crossing. Mm -hmm. And in Animal Crossing, you can send messages to other players. 
And for years, his mother had been sending his character messages in Animal Crossing. And he had just seen all these little nice gifts his mother had given him in the game. Here's a shovel I want you to have. Here's some (laughs) fruit I want you to have. Thinking of you. Hope you're doing nice. And there were years worth of messages from his dead mother that he came across from this game. Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. Oh, yeah. Well, what I'm going to say is not so sweet because that's kid bullshit, man. Get out of the way. Boom. Battlefield 1942 is out (laughs) on PCs, which was just a ripple through the PC gaming community. Like I was a counter striker and this sort of changed everything instead of a kill all the guys. It sort of what was an option in other games. Capture the flag became the main focus. A big massive multi at the time one of the biggest multiplayer first person shooters ever i think 32 players at the, at the very beginning that was a lot and it was not only you can run around and kill folks you could get into any vehicle including jeeps planes boats and start picking people off this was so big this is the only time i remember my hometown having internet cafes uh, that was called one was called joggernauts and the waitresses who worked there scantily clad were called the joggernauties and uh, ah. it was, it, but it, the point is, it almost subsisted on how big Battlefield was in the beginning, how uh, <laughs> many people were playing it. Because uh, it Counter Strike was kind of like this slow thing out of beta. Valve eventually supported it. it. It took forever to come out as its own game. This had EA behind it, and they don't do any PC led releases anymore. But uh, this was huge, absolutely huge. And it has no interesting sounds to play but the theme song but I got in trouble last time I put that in the video so I won't but uh, Battlefield 1942 was just one of my favorite multiplayer experiences I've ever had. Sorry, why did you get in trouble? Oh, it was something something I put on YouTube and like, this song is very restricted and has strict copyright oh, owners and occasionally yeah. that'll okay. happen on like Spotify and shit so I'm not gonna fuck okay, it. Okay, okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, this is also a greatest hits of World War II. Yeah, yes. You, know, you can play Iwo Jima, you can play Stalingrad, you can play Market Garden, so you know, all your favorite and I, I bought this for my dad because he, he, he not a gamer could never get around a first person control system but it was the most accurate like recreation of these battlegrounds and you could walk around them and see them in 3d and i thought he would find that interesting and i think he did for like a day and never again and also yeah launched one of the uh, launched with like no campaign to speak of it was like strictly online or you just played bots but battlefield the beginning of a franchise that's having a little trouble right now but used to be one of the biggest franchises in gaming moving on to an outlier comic book but it's an important one why the last man uh, brian k oh, wow. last man 20 this years old is a fantastic series really well done it's under the defunct sub-label of dc called vertigo yes vertigo made some of the most awesome comics in the world you I mean, you may have noticed that the adaptations of vertigo stuff are way better received than stuff <laughs> the dc branding yeah sandman yeah, I like yeah. uh v for vendetta yeah. why the last mm-hmm. man i yeah. really wish they but, kept that 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 label around yeah they should have i don't mm-hmm. know why they didn't it had so much I, if it gets popular enough they just fold it into the dc universe yeah uh but yeah b- basic premise is half the population of the world that is all the men die and and i can walk to my car at night alive and all right uh, someone can open the pickle jar for me perfect <laughs> ratio <laughs> he uh he goes through adventures and they never 
say directly why it happened. They never like reveal the I big mystery. You know, I never finished it and the television show got canceled. So I don't know how it ends. Yeah, but uh, I think that's a good choice because the characters in the comic book never find out why it happens. Mm. So I'm glad that the audience never found out why it happened either. Why the Last Man? A good comic book recommendation. Um, but let's close out 2002 with Gangsta Lovin' by Eve featuring Elisa Keys. Is that on the Barbershop soundtrack? No, it's but it's number two on, on the charts. Well, and Eve's in the number one movie. Jesus so Christ, Eve. What? Yeah. <laughs> good times for Eve that week, but we'll take you out with that. Don't move. we got one more segment left to cover. Stay tuned. What you in the best way? What you gonna do about it? Why don't you discuss me? You want one to do without it? No, I'm coming at you hard, eating the thug. All the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of September 9th through 15th, we get a couple of 15th anniversaries to talk about. Uh, we just just talked about Bruce Lee and Way of the Dragon, like, seriously a couple of weeks ago when it came out in Hong Kong. But this week we have the 50th anniversary of the release of Fists of Fury in the U.S., which is confusing because the big boss, Bruce Lee's first, like, big starring role was also called Fist of Fury, but in the U.S. So you never quite know which Fist of Fury you're getting when you look up Bruce Lee, Fist of Fury, and one's 1971 and one's 1972. This one, he's playing Jen Shen, who is a character that's been carried over into a whole bunch of other stuff. Jet Li has played him. Donnie Yen has played him. It's just a popular character because, well, he fights Japanese imperialism. And yeah, firstly, there's not a lot of men. There's, there's not that many movies. So I kind of have to shout out like everyone because all the starring roles, they're just, they're really good. He did the fight choreography for it and it's pretty hardcore. Also turning 50 this week, an extremely strange movie that has become, uh, it's popular as a cult film, mainly because of its leading characters. The Ruling Class from 1972 starring Peter O'Toole and Alistair Sim. It's about a upper-class British guy who goes insane and thinks he's Jesus. And uh, that doesn't go well for him or anyone around him. Because, you know, he keeps forgiving people. And then he meets another guy who also thinks he's God and, and they have a God fight. It's really strange. Really, like, you hold your head and you're like, people finance this and showed up every day to film it, huh? Yeah, ruling class. Very, very strange satire. And then, more importantly... 40 years ago this week, the most important song of all time came out. It's Raining Men by the Weather Girls. <laughs> Originally, the Weather Girls were called Two Tons of Fun, and they were back up for Sylvester. You know, you make me feel mighty real. It's Martha Wash and Isora Armstead. Martha Wash then went on to do the vocals for Gonna Make You Sweat CNC Music Factory, and then she was lip-synced by another, by a, a model, and it became a huge thing, because Martha Wash has just an amazing big big voice but she's also a big big lady and they just decided that wasn't sexy enough stupid cnc music factory but it's raining men co-written by paul schaefer is seriously one of the best dance songs of all time it's funny as hell and i love every time i hear it i just start dancing i can't stop myself so yeah put on uh, it's raining men it's homer simpson's favorite song and that's it for this week stay classic 
2012 with uh, Everybody Tales by Neon Trees. It is on the charts this week, the week being September 9th to the 15th in 2012. You are 10 years into the future or the past, depending on how you want to look at it. Don't yell at me. Other new releases that came out the week of September 9th to the 15th include uh, Shifty Adventures in Nookie Wood by John Cale, Changing Tune <laughs> by uh, Lower Than Atlantis, Paradise by Cody Simpson, Glad Ragdoll by uh, Diana Krall, Quality Street Music by DJ Drama, Songs from the Silver Screen by uh, Jackie Evanacho, Evancho? Let's say Evancho. Evancho. Lightning by uh, Matt and Kim. No need to get specific there. <laughs> Transcendental Youth by the Mountain Goats. Hey, a band I've heard of. The Connection by Papa Roach. Transit of Venus by Three Days Grace. Cedar and Gold by Tristan per- uh, Prettyman. And uh, Born to Sing, No Plan B by Van Morrison, as well as Haley Khan by Ellie House. Halcyon. Halcyon. Halcyon by Ellie Goulding. Sorry, this has just been a long episode. Yeah. And, oh, the music's going to get longer and longer as we go through September. That's God, so Everything weird. comes out. Is it, is it just for Christmas sales? Why? I, Why I, are you doing this to us? They got to have something for the kids returning to school to relate their angst to. But a little bit of news to remind you what was happening 10 years ago. The U.S. consulate in Benghazi, Libya, is stormed, looted, and burned down, killing four Americans, including the U.S. ambassador. Some say it was a conspiracy solely to get a Michael Bay movie. No, it's <laughs> something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so... This is a clusterfuck all around. Give me context, because I still, like, I, like, don't even want to hear the word anymore, given how this was used politically. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But I'm sure yeah. JR has a um, level so perspective on this. The thing is, the State Department put out a report and said, we done fucked up, y'all. That That is what it said. It said, we screwed up badly here. And yeah, humans are humans. We screw up sometimes. There was screw-ups after it happened. The State Department immediately said that this was due to a YouTube video, which had no basis in reality whatsoever at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the State Department said, yeah, we fucked that up too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's tough. It's a it's a consulate. It's not the embassy. Libya's just been, you know, liberated from Gaddafi. We're, we haven't had diplomatic ties to them for the third year or something like that and they had a couple attacks before that were kind of low-key and yeah they didn't up the security they, they kind of kicked it around decided now eh, we're okay and then they got this very coordinated attack on 9-11 where they they come in with you know rocket launch grenades and shooting the place up they they set the place on fire and uh you know people are trapped inside i think that's how the ambassador might have died and yeah no it's a is a total fuck up. It is a total security fuck up. Period. But then we can't nail Obama on too much because he only the bad the worst thing he does is drone strike people from the sky. So <laughs> Hillary Clinton, who's Secretary of State, goes there are 10, 10 investigations. She testifies for something like eleven hours. And it's tragic and it's horrible that these people died. We hadn't lost an ambassador since the 70s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was a fuck up. Right. But it was not her personal fuck up. It was a systemic fuck up. Yep. And I, I wish and I I wish that level of attention and investigation was put to 
every government fuck up. Yeah. yeah. Not just ones by people we don't like. Every loss of life. Yeah. Yeah. Do it. That's please actually investigate fuck ups. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it it sucks. And I've already seen, you know, 10th anniversary articles and books are coming out. And there's no reason investigating fuck ups shouldn't be a bipartisan issue, except, yeah, it sucks that it's not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Moving on to something that didn't create a, a decade long conspiracy Japan nationalizes three of the disputed uh, Senkaku Islands. Yeah. So to give some context, China yes. had just passed Japan's economic size in the previous year. I know China is huge these days in 2022, but it's had really explosive growth. In 2012, Japan and China were basically equals. Wow. And yeah, that's that's how far they've come. It's, it's insane, but it is what it is. And they've had a bunch of disputed islands because when Japan lost World War II, they lost to us and they lost to the Republic of China. Mm. And the People's Republic of China then went on to conquer the Republic of China. Oh, and the Republic of China flew, like literally flew out of mainland China, landed in Taiwan and said, this is now the Republic of China. And we actually own all of mainland China. It's just it's under rebel control. And then much history happens. And you've got these <laughs> islands where it's like Japan is like, OK, the war's over. We want them back. And you've got all these disputes between these three people, Japan, the People's Republic of China and the Republic of China. Yeah. And so and what's on these islands? Nothing. Uh, well, so if you control an island, you basically get the resources of the ocean for about 200 miles around that island. Oh, OK. So it's and about the ocean, not what's actually there, because they're usually. just kind of rocks. Yeah, yeah literally not, no one lives there. No one lives there. Occasionally people go visit them just to like plant a flag and they're always just like, oh, God damn, these flag planters, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, the real issue is almost certainly the resources of the ocean around the island. Huh. Mm. And then and because, <laughs> because of that, actually, uh, one of the actresses in the number one movie does not go to the premiere because it's in Japan and she's Chinese. So this yeah. this does spill out into pop culture ever so slightly. All right. And then a uh, last little bit of news. Uh, excavators announced that they may have found the remains of King Richard III of England under a car park in Leicester. Leicester? Lester. Lester. Lester, of course. That's how you would spell Lester. Jesus. So this is really a fascinating mix of archaeology and DNA. Because even in 2012, DNA sequencing wasn't as easy as it is today. And they've got some archaeology where they were like, we are pretty sure this is the remains of the last British king to fall in battle. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Point. So they were like, but how do we find that? They found two very obscure relatives of his, one in Canada, one somewhere else. I can't remember. And they tested their mitochondria DNA. Wow. And they said, this matches. This is therefore King Richard III. Oh, my God. Who died in 1485. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and did he have a, like, super crazy back? No. Nope. No. Nope, That's, he's, he's that, not a hunchback like the Shakespeare play. That is just Tudor propaganda. I'm dead yep. serious on that. Uh, the Tudors had literally the best propagandist in all of what? history on their side. They had William Shakespeare. <laughs> William Shakespeare was absolutely a Tudor propagandist, 100%. So when you got Shakespeare on your side, the narrative kind of veers towards your side, just a tad. Mm, yeah. Just 
Just a touch. Gotta say, uh, some yeah. of the stuff holds up as well as Barbershop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, Richard III is like one of my favorite plays, period. But Oh, it's a great play. It's not history, but, but it's a great play. It's not history, but it's a lot of fun. He's backstabbing everyone. It's mm. great. And let's moving on to the movies of 2012. We get another wonderful entry in our series of forgettable Nicolas Cage movies with one with one word titles. Uh, Danny mm-hmm. Houston, Josh Lucas, Malin Ackerman, and Nicolas Cage in Stolen. Stolen. It's, it's taken, but also there's loot, too. <laughs> it's literally it. Can we please just leave it at that? Just call it taken, but also with Th- This with just is, is like my least favorite part of Nick Cage's career. Yeah. And, and I'm just, he's in such a cooler place now. As an actor, I'm just very happy for him. Yeah, no, he's just turning out low-level action movies. And, I mean, it's, it's filmed in New Orleans. I think that's when he lived there. I don't know if he's bought the pyramid yet to be buried in. Um, <laughs> so New Orleans looks nice, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no one has anything nice to say about it. It's another one of those just like, I've never heard of this. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it existed. It did go to theaters. It did. It's not a direct-to-video, so... And we also have this week uh, Nate Parker, Tisha Casta, uh, Britt Marling, Tim Ross, Susan Sarandon, and Richard Gere in Arbitage. Wow, that's a boring Ooh. title. It is a boring title for <laughs> a pretty decent thriller. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I I knew that it was about sort of a Bernie Madoff type character, and I thought it was going to be like margin call, and it would get into like all the ins and outs of stock stuff. And it's like, no, no, it's more of a thriller like, can he get away with doing a bad thing, trying to cover up crime, running around, covering up the crimes, hope his wife doesn't find out. Oh, crap. Maybe she's finding out. Is his daughter going to get involved, too? I don't know. Yeah, it's ugh, I admit I did not finish it. I feel bad. But what I did watch, I was like, I have to finish this now. I'm going to I'm going to finish it after this because it's like, yeah, thrillery. It's it's weird because like the last Richard Gere movie I think we talked about was probably Unfaithful, yeah. which takes a turn into this sort of like murder cover-up thriller type stuff. And I was like, is this the same guy? Let's just pretend it's the same character. Why not? <laughs> the Richard Gere-averse. He does. Where he's always covering up murder. Look and sound the same yeah. in every movie he's in. <laughs> so I did not watch this. Okay. However, I did look up what arbitrage means. And I think that counts for something. Sure. Do you know what it means? No. No, really? The buying and selling of currency. That's it. Oh. What? Oh, yeah. oh. I know. It, it reminded me remind me to check my Dogecoin. Arbitrage. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, I feel bad that I did not finish it. I'm going to finish it because uh, I I got sucked in. It was mm-hmm. it, it wasn't all like, yeah, technical hedge fund crap, but more um Mordor. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And it ends up it ends up getting great reviews and it made decent money. It's made for super cheap, like twelve million dollars. Not bad. Eighty seven percent. Eighty seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That is so fucking that's good. That's why I got to finish it by twenty twelve yeah. theater standards for real. Yeah. Um, so arbitrage. I mean, put in the comments um, that I'm an asshole for not finishing it and still wanting to talk about it. Could the same be said for the other movie I did not watch this week? Uh, we had a lot I, of stuff to cover. We really this did. Week, Gil okay. Bellows, the Max mm. Theory. Theory, theory it, the Rio, uh, Elizabeth Shue and J Law, Jennifer Lawrence and House at the end of the street. Yeah, this was held for like two years. This is like a 2010 movie. Yeah, <laughs> uh, because their reviews were not great. Because uh, Jennifer Lawrence and her mom Elizabeth Shue, which first of all, solid casting right there. Yeah, I see that. They they move to a new house, and it turns out that the guy uh, at the end of the street is the lone survivor of his sister killing their parents. 
or did she? And then she disappeared. Or did she? And then <laughs> it turns out there's all kind of hinky stuff that's just kind of ripping off Psycho. Or are they? But yeah, clearly J-Law's on the rise, but once Hunger Games hits, like, all right, so we can take a chance on this sh- <laughs> admittedly shitty movie. Yeah. Capitalize well, no, like, on her fame. Yeah, it's more like, let's let's finally put this out. We can get the last bit of money to distribute this because now she's famous. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, another one. House at the End of the Street. No one had much nice to say, but yeah, put in the comments if uh, we're wrong. And then lastly, number one at the box office, because it always is. People love these. Lee Bing Bang, Kevin Durant, Johan Erb, Sean Roberts, Michelle Rodriguez, Boris Kodjo, Colin Salmon, uh, Sienna Gilroy, and of course, Mila Jovovich as Alice. Resident Evil Retribution. My name is Alice. Umbrella left me for dead. And when I returned, everything had changed. What the hell is going on here? You're in the prime Umbrella facility, belly of the beast. They now control the world. They manipulated my friends. I don't know you ladies. And turned them against me. You can't kill me. What's up? Oh, right. The last couple of movies were in 3D. 3D. Yeah. This is number five of six. Five of six. Resident Evil movies. Which is shocking because I I, I used to work for Capcom, the company that makes Resident Evil games. And I don't know if that penetrate, if the games penetrated as well as the movies did, given how long they had been around. It was kind of a 15-year franchise as opposed to the... What is Resident Evil at now? 2030? Given that they're not games, they're, they are they are a global phenomenon of such an underestimated value. I was pretty shocked that they not only stopped the series, that the series came to Netflix recently and got canceled. These have made $1.3 billion in a recent box office environment. These films. But it was you. The, you were the Resident Evil of all along. <laughs> it's, you know, I, I, I remember we found out where Resident Evil got its name. It's called Biohazard in Japan. And it was a contest with the um, American branch of Capcom internally because it was set in a house. But that was the only one set in a Biohazard <laughs> makes much more sense for especially these movies, which I'm yeah. not nerdy enough to consider. I don't need to see Re- Resident Evil canon crystallize on the big screen, but like they almost never have anything to do with the games no. and just kind of toss really like specific fan service into st- stuff that has nothing to do with Resident Evil. They barely have anything to do with the previous film. Yeah. Okay, this one <laughs> completely ignores the ending that was set up in the previous film. You know, mm-hmm. it because... This is a series no one likes making, but it always makes bank overseas. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's that's it. Yeah. 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 And I, I kind of get lost in these. As I do tend to not watch them because I know there's going to be scary stuff and I'm a giant wuss, but I know it's not going to be that scary. Yeah, they're... They do get kind of complicated because like there's cloning and people's memories get wiped and sometimes Mila it's a Jovovich simulation. Superpowers and, like, oh, and resurrection I'm, abilities, things that never occur I anywhere near the game. It, it, is, yeah. it is totally confusing, but they are, I think the history will, will show that they were B movies that did really well with non-English speaking audiences. I, I think yeah. even even better than they performed at the American box office, they were just huge smashes globally and on cable. And it, it, I just remember once, right around the time when Walking Dead was hitting television, the zombie craze was at its apex. And 
it was really lucrative to have all this Resident Evil product when that craze hit and that helped the movie's legacies. I hate these movies. I think they're among <laughs> the worst movies I've ever seen. And they're not fun for me yet. But once I went back and watched the one previously we did for 302010 and did not have fun with it. I hate Paul W.S. Anderson for holding his wife, Mila Jovovich, who I think is gorgeous, charismatic, great actress, capable of anything, kept her just attached to these films for so long, giving them any the only gravitas they were getting. And uh, I resent this one even more. Uh, so mm. I'm sorry, not for me. I feel like there is a ferocious debate to be had of Resident Evil versus Underworld, of which one is better overall, more redeemable, of <laughs> directors and mm. their wives who star in action that's, movies that's, that's that are weird. ridiculously popular worldwide, but they're just kind of disposable. Yeah, I, I could see how maybe Underworld, just because like Resident Evil, at least for the first couple movies, had expectations from tons of games of worth of mm. millions of games worth of expectations but I, I think the movies cost less than the games and make similar amounts of money so yeah resident evil retribution yeah tell us what seriously tell us what you think i i people who love these movies i love hearing about them i love that you love them but uh this this series had also also has the uh, personal touch of being a professional pain in my ass so like i just don't really want to give it much time anymore <laughs> speaking of times to change and i love it when we get a goddamn internet thing that is 10 years old 10 years old and that's such is the case with college humor's global warming rap battle yeah, I'm glad this rap came up because uh, after this came out, you know, everything got solved and worked out for the best. Yay. <laughs> uh, at least we have some legislation occurring in the 10 years since that is ha this this rap came out. But uh, what, is, what does it have to say? Because I don't remember this very well. Or buy a nice box fan. Toss that AC because no offense meant, but nothing feels cooler than helping the environment. Fuck that! Break this shit! Get the fridge in air ripping! Screw the polar bears, dude! My nose got sweat dripping! It's hot as a mofo! You being ass a bitch! I'm about to crank this shit till we get frostbit! It's all a wall unit that can go below 16! Refresher in our sweater, so let's get this bitch named me! Convenient truth is AC is legit! So the polarized cats can fucking suck my dreams! <laughs> <laughs> oh god damn it global warming what a fun issue right uh, hey. uh anybody oh, yeah i loved college humor yeah uh, i thought they made so many great skits they folded did they because they yeah Huh. Yeah, they went out of business because they couldn't find a buyer. They couldn't find a buyer for like a couple of hundred thousand. And that was just Jesus. like a wake up call that, wow, oh, even things that get millions of hits regularly do not actually have that much value at the end of the day. Well, I think mm -hmm. I think they are also that like it's there's not a lot of great examples of it, but they were a popular video platform before YouTube became the standard. There was money to be made because you'd go to their website and you'd be in their environment. They could sell you merch just being another YouTube channel. What's the purpose? And I know they did. They had written content as well, but uh, I'm not I'm really not shitting on them. It's just I think that that did become sort of a bummer. Trust me, I have yeah. a website. Very few of you go to that. I've put a lot of work into. <laughs> yeah, uh, I feel like if there is any sort of online creative outlet in the last 15 years that has gone under, I assume Facebook's pivot to video is to blame. Partially, yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, just my blanket assumption, even though they already were video. I'm just going to assume what happened to them is what happened to Cracked, is what happened to Games Radar, is what happened to a lot of places. 
Yeah, but, but yeah. You, you'll see a Pushed lot of consolidation. But, but college videos. humor, I believe, was like one big form of consolidation. I went to like yep. this aggregate site called Alldom, and it was just bought one day by College Humor, and hmm. well, its content completely disappeared. So yep. it happens. They were offered a nine million dollar buyout, and they turned it down. Oof. Mm. That's awful. Because yeah. I, I know like a, a ton of people who worked in the back when it was the rising field of internet video and they those people were very like like pioneers and gods to them they were they were very well regarded the college humor team that's that's a super big bummer i I, i'd never i never realized it just because like i occasionally binge and adam's adam ruins everything which i think is like kind of a (laughs) spin-off that spun out of college humor did it not I think it did. I think uh, so, I think so. Yeah. It has a bunch of the same people in it. Uh, pour one out for college humor and the globe. Uh, <laughs> and the globe. Never get in a global warming debate with anybody because there is no debate. Just say, who does it hurt to try to do better? And the answer to that is always the billionaire polluting corporations creating the problem. It does not yeah. hurt you as an individual to try and do something to prevent or combat climate change. Anyway, moving on to television, 2012, September 9th to the 15th, The New Normal debuts on NBC. Two gay guys hire a woman to have their baby. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Hey, does it star anybody yep. we know? Uh, Justin Bartha and Andrew Rannells. I know um, those people. It's co-created by Ryan Murphy, who just won't stop creating Stop things. creating stop shows for a second. Murphy. God, I can't, God even, I can't finish damn, anything you're relax. making. You can, he, that guy makes more shows than I can watch. How does he do it? Yes, I don't know. How does he do it? I'm so confused. A show I never got to check out. This is sort of a oh, period where there's a magic period to the channel FX, and I think Damages was a really big part of that. I hear a lot more people talk about Damages than a lot of other stuff on FX from that period. Dude, Damages was hardcore. Uh, I watched the first season, and I never went back. It went three seasons on FX and then got picked up by the Audience Network, which I guess is a, a direct TV channel. Yes. And they rescued it for two two seasons. Mm-hmm. I feel like I should probably binge the whole thing because it is Glenn Close is such a bitch. <laughs> And I love that. I love Glenn Close being a giant bitch. Ted Danson is a piece of crap, too. They had so many guest stars as Rose Byrne and uh, Tate Donovan. They also had, like, Marsha Gay Harden, Timothy Oliphant, uh, Campbell Scott, William Hurt all came through. John Goodman came through. Ryan Phillippe came through. It was like, yeah, because they're, like, 10 to 13 episode seasons of this, like, just mean-spirited legal drama about terrible people. And that's pretty much it. (laughs) Yes. Damages is about a mean-spirited legal drama about terrible people. And uh, I, love it. <laughs> I, I just I just thought this was interesting, and I I, I swear I, I don't I bring it up too frequently to not look like a huge super fan, but seeing that the dog whisperer with Caesar Milan ends this week, and I was like, oh yeah, and like oh this is one of those things I have no context for other than South Park, like <laughs> yeah, zero. There's a zero, lot of stuff out there. I never uh, actually saw a moving image of Caesar Milan other than South Park. I know what he looks like, but I never saw this show. The important thing to remember about this show is there there is a disclaimer on it that you should never take anything you see as advice on how to train your dog. Mm. Oh. Yeah. They take the position that this is a reality show starring Caesar, but don't do what Caesar does. Mm. Okay. Well, that's they, called covering your ass for liability. Yeah. But the thing is, a lot of dog trainers have problems with Caesar. They don't think his strategy really works. Uh, apparently, it really is true. He just seems to have naturally has something about him that makes dogs get along with him in a way they don't with other people. So if you use his strategies and you're not him, 
it's not going to work the way it works for him. <laughs> yeah. His but... his ideas generally do not work with my dog. I know one of his big things was like to be the alpha dog, show that you're the pack leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, my dog knows that. He still, follows me everywhere. Still, <laughs> He still tries to throw himself under the Amazon truck anytime he sees it because <laughs> he thinks he must defend pack leader. So, no, that's not going to help, Caesar. I have a kamikaze dog. What do I do? <laughs> oh, I wouldn't change a thing about Bork friend, Steve. <laughs> and moving on to uh, video games of 2012, really one of my favorite resurrections that I wish was built off of in some way, Double Dragon Neon, Way Forward's uh, take on the classic, perhaps even original, walk right and punch women, men and women genre uh, double dragon neon but it is soaked in whatever that 80s movie walter hillish vibe of you collect cassette tapes and you unlock all these moves and you drink soda for hell how did the soda work uh, it's it just this this wonderfully 80s soaked game but made to look like a modern game they made a double dragon 4 afterward that looks like the nes games and that wasn't very good this was just tons of fun. The deepest a Double Dragon game has ever been. Looks awesome. Yeah. And one of the best soundtracks ever, but Way Forward is pretty known for that. And then Black Mesa on Windows. Is this the remake? This is the most ambitious fan project of all time. A bunch of fans wanted to make their own sequel, and they worked on it, and then eventually it became official, and eventually it just kept growing and growing until so- it was unbelievably huge so it is a fi- okay so it was sort of made official i remember I, I, I back when i was watching it it was unofficial i mean it's on steam yeah. so i don't know I, how you get yeah. more official than that how would you violate steam's ip and get on steam with it i yeah yeah must leave, so I, it's it's just amazing this happens because when i was growing up you know video games were very detached from their fans you couldn't mm-hmm. play around with it the most you could ever do was draw fan art on an envelope mail that envelope to nintendo power and hope they publish it <laughs> but in the modern era you can remix your game and you can make mods of it and the companies are generally just like yeah go ahead play around have fun and then sometimes they'll even be like you know what you're so awesome at our game we're gonna make it part of a commercial release I which mean, is unless you're valve who does it all the wow. time but <laughs> yeah. that's kind of all valve does really at this point hey this looks this looks good you throw gordon freeman in it and we'll give you some money buy your company and, and then speaking of uh pcs just a huge game ftl uh that's crazy this is one of my favorite games and this is one of the first big early kickstarter successes this is one of the the earliest games that got like a huge boost on kickstarter in it you play a spaceship that is on the run and that's it you have to try to survive until you get to the end where you deliver the secret plans and you can decide the fate of the galaxy or whatnot but really it's just a white knuckle survival thing where you are constantly judging do i have enough missiles do i have enough shields should i upgrade my shields or should i repair my hull should i uh, sell my crewmates into slavery should i buy crew (laughs) from slavery should i put people out of the airlock should i and the answer to that is always yes in fact uh, we have a clip of my strategy in 90 percent of this game fire in the engine room bring the fire extinguishers no Open the doors. What? The airlock doors in the back and the doors to the engine room. Let the oxygen out and the fire will die. Works on people too. 
Wow, that, that, that actually worked. Yep, looks like my crippling debt to the Spaceship Academy is paying for itself already. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, uh, venting your oxygen is a super huge part of this strategy because your ship will get on fire. You have to try to uh, put out the fire and your crew need to breathe oxygen. Okay. Uh, really? Yeah, I know. God, it's really annoying. So whiny. The we thing is, so here's the story of JR being just the horriblest person in a video game. I installed a cloning device on my spaceship and I kept having it run out on oxygen on purpose. Oh. My crew would then die from lack of oxygen instantly be cloned back on the ship with no oxygen and start dying again in an endless cycle wow why because i needed to that was <laughs> if i didn't do that we would die and the bad guys would win or maybe i'm the bad guy cuz i'm the guy who trapped people in endless loops of suffocation so I think you've just discovered something, yes. <laughs> so there's actually God. no evidence in this game that you are the good guys, by the way. <laughs> there's none. There's none. You assume you're the good guys, but then you start venting your oxygen and you're like, oh, maybe I'm really not. <laughs> but it's a fantastic game, start of the indie renaissance, roguelike game. Wonderful. The creators went on uh, to make Into the Breach, which is another fantastic game. If you have not played this, it's like a couple of bucks on Steam. It's on your iPad, which is a perfect way to pick it up and play it on the go. It's hard. It's hard as balls. Like, I award you the highest prize I can award you. And it's a little mail that says, one on easy mode. Mm. <laughs> FTL. FTL, baby. Um, sounds like a wrestling move. That that wraps up the games and almost the show. We're going to tell you who died during this period of 302010 and have a little fun quiz you can participate in to figure out who was born during this period of 302010. But before we get there, we got to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash laser time, supporting the whole laser time network, Vigil Game Apocalypse, every, your video game show every Friday. JR has spearheaded a ton of really great bonus content over on Patreon. That has been just so much fun to do. Did Is that correct? We put We put a poll... I saw The Last Unicorn winning <laughs> in terms of the 82 movie people want to talk about. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll pull it up right now. But I'm just, I was I was shocked. Like, I, I hope I didn't sway it anyway, but I love that fucking movie. Love it. It's just unforgettable moments. And I gotta say, I don't know why I was thinking about it the whole time I was watching that Amazon Lord of the Rings show for some reason. Is that fantasy? I, it might have been one of my first dips into that kind of fantasy even though it's you should have episodes up about star trek wrath of Khan, which i just wanted to say not being paid to say this but you could it's it's on screens right now and if vga hadn't moved recording times i was going to the theater to watch wrath of Khan, and uh, i just love that fucking movie and it's really important it's so important the star trek franchise that episode was really fun new episode of sick of star wars hopefully we'll have one of those every single month at patreon.com slash laser time diana i'm done plugging stuff you talk <laughs> oh, all right. Well, you can follow me on Twitter at listenernerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast, the 302010podcast. Coming up next week, I'm going to have to start with with a, a stopwatch on this show because we have way, way more to talk about next week, and we cannot be going five hours because we will go five <laughs> if we are not stopped because we have a whole ton of TV debuting, and there are 14 movies between the three decades, and all of them need talking about, even the one that's fucking awful. We got Kurt Russell on a boat. We got Brandon Fraser going to a fancy school. 
Cower. <laughs> We've got Cameron Crowe def- defining Generation X. We've got both Jill and Hall's siblings, one of whom is getting into BDSM and one of whom is just getting into oh, the, my goodness. Um, the beating part because he's with the LAPD. We've oh. Got, uh, we've got movie with the history about the history of a music scene that has the most creative fourth wall breaking I've ever seen. We've got one of the most lamented shows that did not get the run that it deserved. Uh, I, and I was going to say, ha- has a scenario described by Jr. and Faster Than Light. Yes, there's a whole yeah. episode mm-hmm. of that. Yeah, we got Space Western that we get to talk about. Oh boy. We also have Paul Thomas Anderson making us very uncomfortable in a movie not about Scientology whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say what I mean. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And on top of everything, we have an American version of an Indonesian film that we heaped a lot of praise on. And it turns out the American version is almost as good based on a freaking comic book character that nobody cares about. (laughs) Fuck yeah, Carl Urban can do anything. Uh, down. Oh, that is so wonderful. A movie that should not be good and turns out it's really is really fucking good. And, and yeah. it didn't need the license at all to do that. No, it didn't. Oh, there's so much TV too. Oh, God. <laughs> good it's all Lord. right. It's all right. We'll try oh, and God. divvy it up. So- well, I can be found on the Twitter at J-R-R-A-L-L-S. And now it's time to find out who died. Oh, these are sad. Uh, in 1992 is when we lost Anthony Perkins. He was only 60. AIDS-related pneumonia got him. Um, that guy is amazing. Yeah. That guy is am- wow. absolutely amazing. I love him. So I, I just watched Psycho and Psycho 2, and I just, dude, mm-hmm. it, he is so fun to watch on screen, especially in Psycho, which I feel like he was like 10 years ahead of what acting was in, in, yeah. in the 60s. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, and it's so sad that just people just immediately, he's so good as Norman Bates that that's just kind of where I got stuck, but he's, uh, watch him in other stuff. Like he, he, he's got some range. He's, he's really good. You know, it's really sad. He died uh, September 12th, 1992. His wife died in the September 11th attacks. What? Really? Yeah. She wow. was on one of the planes. Yeah. Barry Berenson. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. September sucks for that family. And uh, 2002, we lost football. Great. Johnny Unitas, who is 69. Not nice. He played for 18 seasons in the NFL. He is considered seriously one of the, the best players of all time. And then uh, also in 2002, we <laughs> lost Kim Hunter, who is 79, who is a wonderful actress in all kinds of stuff. And you both know. best know her as Stella. Oh, no, I don't. Yeah. And Chris knows her from the Planet of the Apes movies. Yes. <laughs> Zira. Zira, the hottest ape of all. Oh, Heston is such a lucky guy. What I love her <laughs> so fucking much in those movies and it's and she is the only one to be in all three of the trilogy Mm -hmm. nobody else uh heston and roddy back out every once in a while uh oh gosh she she's kind of the glue that holds together those three movies and it is one of the most bizarre and crazy trilogies of all time please do yourself a favor and read about planet of the apes (laughs) (laughs) if not watch it true now that's true and, and besides three card name desire i've also talked about a matter of life and life and death in classic corner which is so great so charming and wonderful i love it <laughs> anyway anyway all right now it's time for the birthday quiz oh birthday is a doodly do a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong do a birthday in hammersmith district of london 
on September 15, 1977. He is the only child of artist and painter Anne with the uh, maiden name of Barrett. And his father is a novelist and comedy writer, first name Edward. He has suffered from dysthmia, and he spent much of his youth drinking alcohol and being addicted to crack cocaine to cope with it. Oh, dear. He said he was out of control with his drink and drug use before seeking psychological help when he was 20 years old. Huh. Good for him. So what kind yeah. of lifestyle could afford such behavior? He would have had to been a young actor. You know Movies of his we have talked about include the television show Band of Brothers, Black Hawk Down, Sucker oh. Punch, oh. Inception, Oh my God. Oh, um, Warrior. Oh, Tom Hardy? Yes, it is Tom Hardy. Oh. Yay! Warrior was so good, you guys. Yeah, Warrior was great. That was one of the most surprisingly good movies, something I really wasn't looking forward to on the show. I love it when that happens. And Tom Hardy is amazing. I did not think he was that old, actually. I I did not think he would be 45. You didn't think you were older than Tom Hardy? I am older than Tom Hardy. Mm, mm, (laughs) Not me. He came out out the same year as Star Wars. did. He's, he's younger than he's younger than Star Wars. That's true. But we've we've had sex with about the same number of men, as far as I understand. So we're cool. <laughs> That's the best quote I have ever heard from an actor. Being like, "Are you, are you gay?" And he's like, "I'm an actor. Of course, I fucked men. I experiment, <laughs> so I get experience. You dumbass. <laughs> Show him." Good for him. Oh, good for you. Happy birthday, Tom Hardy. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. Patreon.com slash Laser Time. Get a bunch of bonus content. Support your friends, your pals here at uh, 302010 in the Laser Time Network. Let's go out with Humping Around by Bobby Brown because, you know, he's in denial. Ain't nobody. He he, he says no one, but I don't believe him. Seriously, guys, next week. Fuck. We're going to have to have a stopwatch. I'm going to be like, no, five minutes on everything. Ding. We got to move. Because otherwise, yeah. it will be the longest episode of all time. Yeah. I'm, I've been watching these movies for weeks now, trying to stay ahead of it. And I got a lot of shit to say. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait. Next week's going to be real good. Yeah. Tell a friend about the show. Let us know your feedback in the comments section on uh, LeisureTimePodcast.com or uh, uh, Leisure Time Facebook community or, yeah, and you know, anywhere where you can leave a comment. We'll see it eventually. But I hate talking about films like Resident Evil the way I did. I like to hear from people who like things or have a good or embarrassing story about loving something like that. So, yeah, yeah. your experiences are important, too. Anyway, you re- you're ready to get out of here? It's been a long episode. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Get out of my